Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. You're really there to kind of take people to the underworld. That's what you do. And everybody has to be given the liberty to bring whoever they want to bring. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Hotel, the 10th track from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. David. Hey, Eve. Where did we meet? In a hotel, I think. Did we really? No, where did we really meet? Where did I meet him? And um being you. I don't know where we met met the first time. We've, you know, sort of narrowed down our first time being in the same room together to the Denver show on the 99 tour. Denver 99. I've never played in a mall before. Just call me Tiff. Just call me Tiff. But I'm not sure where we actually spoke. What if we stayed in the same hotel that night? What hotel did you stay at? I stayed in my car with Shaggy sleeping in the back seat. Okay, well, I didn't stay there. <laughs> because I decided that it was a good idea to drive back from Denver to LA in one sitting to go to work the next day. Oh, that's smart. And it was a lot <laughs> further than I thought. I believe it. <laughs> um, one time we drove from New Orleans to Los Angeles and we tried to do it in one stretch. No. <laughs> and Dor would not let us pull over. And I was at a certain point, I was going like 30 miles on the highway and Shaggy was sleeping right next to me in the passenger seat. Uh-huh. That's the constant in life. Shaggy sleeping in the back yeah. seat. Like, wake up. We're at grandma's house. Wake up. We're at the Tory show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you want me to stay up and keep you awake? Is a question that's never been asked. Not once. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good morning. How are you, David? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm well. It's been a long time since we last spoke. I know. Can we officially say happy holidays now? Happy holidays. Hard to believe. We haven't spoken since our online Tori Amos fan convention. Well, we've spoken. I mean, but we haven't spoken officially on record. That's true. (laughs) And it doesn't count. Just like Madonna, if it's not on camera, (laughs) why would I bother doing it? Warren Beatty knows that about her and we know that about each other. Uh Uh-huh. Are you excited about doing this episode? I am. I haven't been in a hotel all year, as I'm sure most of us haven't either. So <laughs> this is as good as it gets for me. <laughs> I feel like I'm traveling right now. Oh, my God. Vicariously through Tori Amos. Yeah. I'm excited to get into this song as we have now reached my number one favorite Tori Amos song. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We need more than a you-go girl for that. You-go girl. 
You've gone, girl. You kidnapped yourself and took yourself to that hotel. Oh, my God. Can you believe that we're here? Can you believe we've made it? No. I have a question for you. Yes. What do you think came first, the chicken or the egg? And by that, I mean the hotel or the choir girl hotel. Oh, the hotel. Me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something about it that makes me feel like it is the heart and soul of this album to her. It was initially, or at least in my recollection, it was initially the 11th track, the second to last track, right? Which tells me it was like this big climactic moment with Pandora's Aquarium being the denouement. But I felt like, you know, she did a little tweaking, obviously. And they're standalone tracks, let's not forget. (laughs) There is no denouement. Do we have... (laughs) There is no climax. Do we have an alternate track listing for this? album on which hotel was number 11 it's listed in the booklet that way it's listed as playboy mommy hotel i can't keep up with whether that means anything other than mark was doing the layout and it just fit there no i mean not in the lyrics order but in the credits at the back yeah Mm -hmm. so do you remember the first time you heard this amazing song i sure do and i'll tell you what this was initially my favorite from this album twinsies samesies twinsies (laughs) (laughs) and i'll tell you what i do genuinely love the song and i did genuinely love the song but i feel like my choosing it as my favorite was a little bit colored by that thing we all do especially in the 90s where we need to have like a song that belongs to us that's our Mm. song and i think i was trying Mm. to carve this one out for myself because it wasn't getting the same love that some of the other songs were getting and I was like yoink I'll take hotel and that'll be David's song and that didn't really last but I do like it wait so I remember the very first show of Scarlet's Walk in Tampa November 7th 2002 she did like a full set she did two whole sets basically right the songs just kept coming Mm -hmm. and then long after we thought the show would be over then she starts hotel and I'm like oh my god this is gonna be like a set closer and still she did like two more songs after that but that night her doing hotel was the first time I ever heard anybody talk shit about hotel ever I had never discussed hotel with anybody up until that point. But then someone made, someone who we love dearly, made a very offhanded comment about, oh, here we go. And I'm like, what's wrong with this song? Wait a second. Out of all the songs to criticize hotel, you're going to have a problem with? Exactly, Lisa B. Oh, my God. (laughs) Exposed. Yeah, exposed. That was the first time I ever heard anybody talk uh, negatively about the song. So for you saying that it wasn't getting the love that you felt it should get, what was going on in your world? Well, people didn't dislike it. It just wasn't as immediate as like an IIE or Cruel or something. So I just didn't remember Mm. people talking about it. Not that they disliked it by any means. Okay, well, I hear that. And I think, you know, as the tour went on and she wasn't playing it, it became like the zero point of the era or something where everyone was like, oh, my God, is she ever going to do Hotel? Oh, when she finally does do it, it's going to be amazing and blah, 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 blah. And it was. I was actually at the show where she performed it for the first time. So, Well, you don't have to brag. Well, I just did, and I'd do it again. (laughs) You're right, because it was the very last song to come out of all the songs. And at that point in time, it would have been the only song from an album that she hadn't played. Ever. So it was elusive and people were very excited about it. And when it finally came out on September 19th, the day after my birthday, Mm. mm -hmm, it was a little belated gift. Belated, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, forgot your birthday. Here you go. Whoops. The first time I heard the song, I instantly fell in love with it. I have never recovered from that love. I am desperately in love with this song to this day. Mm. The song takes me away. So I can't wait to explore this song with you. Where does it take you? I don't fucking know. It takes me... (laughs) 
Where is <laughs> the hotel? Me, I go back to this uh, relationship I had. It's interesting because we'll get into the quotes, obviously, but she's quoted as saying something along the lines of, you could be at the altar, but if someone specific, someone calls and needs help, you'll drop everything to be there for that person. Does she really say at the altar? That's some pretty tough talk. I can imagine if you're like watching TV and someone calls, but you're about to marry someone else and you leave your own <laughs> wedding. Well, yeah. I wouldn't want my partner to be that there's a list of other people I would abandon him for. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We'll get into the quotes and I don't know if she says altar. I don't want to be misquoting her, but this song was interwoven with Jackie's strength too. Let's not forget. Yes. As we discussed in the Jackie's strength episode, they were born together. But grew up to live very different lives. That's true. But it does take me back to a very specific time in my life. I had just come out of this relationship and we said like maybe now wasn't our time and maybe in 10 years it'll be our time. And that idea, the possibility of that is so romantic to me. The idea that you can meet someone in a different space and time and the fact that your molecules are still attracting the same energy to you, even in alternate lives and further down in time and space, you're still meeting the same energy in different people. Mm. I don't know. It's a very exciting song for me. We've already established that you are a far more generous and romantic soul than I. I don't have anyone that I would leave the altar for. I don't have anyone from a prior relationship that I think, you know, we lived, we loved. Maybe it just wasn't our time. Instead, I turn into Feruza Balk in The Craft, and I'm basically screaming, you don't even exist to me. So <laughs> you're a sweetheart at the end of the day. No, that's what I'm screaming now. Like, I do, I will say, we uh, 10 years later, we reconnected in some, like, interesting, unexpected way. And it was not a good thing in the end for my mental health. And so now I don't, now I've blocked him. Every few years he'll like text me or email me or something. And now I just don't respond anymore. Mm. I've filtered his emails to the garbage and I blocked his number on my texts. Mm, you, so. <laughs> you sent him off exit 75, but you're still alive. But you know, the idea that it could possibly one day work. Uh-huh. The idea is what I'm attracted to. The idea. I'm attracted of, to of, concepts, archetypes. Yes. Also the time signatures in this song. Mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I know how you feel about strong time signature changes, so. I love the tempo changes. Until Detura, this was her wildest song as far as tempo and time signature is concerned. And I loved it. How do you feel about time signature changes live? Like when the opening note of leather becomes 30 seconds long. Is that as good? Is that the same? (laughs) Um, We're talking about hotel today. So... (laughs) Let's get into it. First, of course, we want to say thank you to Shay Stymack for putting our show notes together. She's in charge of our documents. And boy, does she know how to document. She's a scribe, a historian. An archivist. Spends a lot of time in the, yes, in the library. Telling tales like a librarian. Thanks, Shay. Thanks, Shay. Tell me that Shay's missing. Tell me this is one for Lollipop Geshapo. Shay Stapo. <laughs> King Shalaman's Mines. <laughs> I guess that what I'm shaking isn't chair. <laughs> Doesn't work. I think we're Sorry, done. Sorry, Shay, we tried. This was a rough one. Sorry. <laughs> Should we talk about our guests? Yeah. Who did we invite to stay with us on vacation in this hotel? <laughs> well, this vacation consists of my hotel soulmate, Catherine McManus. She considers this song her signature song as well. Mm-hmm. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, we got a group on. Spa day. All right. <laughs> we'll also be hearing from our Neil Gaiman correspondent, Lauren Eshwee. She's going to tell us where the hell the velvets are. We ask all the timely questions. 
Right. It's exactly. been simmering for 22 years. We're going to finally find out who they are and where they are. <laughs> we don't know them by now. We will never, ever know them. Well, that's not true because Lauren's going to tell us. Great. And should we say hello to our Patreon supporters? Yes. Hey. Hi. First, we want to say thank you to Eric Lane, who upped his pledge. Thank you, Eric. Did Eric Lane call, by the way? I got to get a new answering service. New patron, William Eason, or Eason. Someone's moving in on your territory, William I.I. Eason. I'll share the road. I'll share the territory. That's generous. New patron, M.M. The original artist behind 97 Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, <laughs> M.M. They dropped the N. Okay, or is it Marilyn Manson? Either way, I'm happy. Welcome. Ooh. Welcome to new patron Chris Yoakum. So you can make me Yoakum? That doesn't make you Chris? Actually, it does. <laughs> Hello to our new patron, Fred Big. F-R-E-D-B-G. Fred Big. I, I am a F-R-E-D. Don't you B-G. <laughs> um, hello to new patron, Ben Eli. Don't tell me a woman did this to you. Benny lies. <laughs> Thank you to Heath McCormack, who upped his pledge. Ooh, do you think it's Heath McCormack Aladdin? And last but definitely not least, thank you to Jared Good, who upped his pledge to our highest level. Thank you, Jared. Because of you, it's been a pretty good year. Mm. Get it? No. What? <laughs> but, Jared, I want the secrets. You know what secrets I want. If for some reason we haven't said your name and you are our new patron supporter or you up your pledge, please let us know. We're trying to be very good about it, but sometimes one or two may fall through the cracks. We're going to start here with a remix of Hotel because there aren't any great covers out there. So let's listen to this, David, and we'll be right back to talk about Hotel. All right.
Hi, Tori. I'm John. Um, Hi. Hi. I just wanted to ask you um, who the song Hotel was about. Oh. Well, I, you know, I don't mention names, but I think the idea of hotel is, you know, when you, you think of people in your past, loves that you've had, and um, if they're in trouble, you know that you're going to be there for them. And in this song, he's in big trouble. I mean, it's like really bad for him. And uh, everybody's deserting him. You don't know what he does. But she's not going to desert him, even though they're not together anymore. So she goes off. It's like she turns off, exit 75, in her little old beetle, just looking for him. And that's what it is. I think I'm going to cry. Uh. I think I'm going to weep. The courage on that boy. Hey, Tori, tell me all your deepest, darkest secrets. Tell me everything. Who's this about? Who's that about? What are you, what are you thinking? You know what? You never know until you ask. And sometimes, depending on the day, she might answer. So roll the dice. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Tori, who's hotel about? And tell me exactly what happened between you two. Yeah. She's like, and here's his address and social security number. Please get him for me. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how she says that he's in big trouble and no one's coming to his rescue. So she's gonna. But she's also just letting him crash. So which, which one is it? Well, that's interesting because, I mean, we'll get into it, obviously, when we get to the line by line, but it's both, you know? It is that, what's the word? She's, she's, he's in big trouble and everyone's deserting him and she's not going to let him just go. But at a certain point, she might realize there's nothing I can do for you. Yes. I, I have to learn to let you do this for yourself. I can't save you every time. And I think that's the journey of the song is that she's got it. She's actively learning that. She obviously doesn't know it because she's saying, I have to learn a future tense. Maybe one day I will. Mm-hmm. So right now she's picking up the pieces all the damn time. Yeah, I get it. Oh. She's she's rescuing. She's anticipating his needs. But after a while, you have to stop doing that. And I say that because I'm halfway through reading Codependent No More. So I think this song, <laughs> this song is in some ways a lesson in codependence and breaking that cycle. So I think you're right. That's a great way of saying it. It is breaking the cycle. I can't wait to get this. is going to be a good line by line later. <laughs> <laughs> Hotel is track 10 from Tori's fourth album from the Choir Girl Hotel released on May 4th, 1998 in the UK and May 5th, 1998 in the United States. Mm-hmm. Cinco de Hotel. Uh, with drums by Matt Chamberlain, programmed by Tired Andy Gray. He got so tired. Well, he had nine tracks to do before this. I know. He was tuckered out. And this was probably his crowning achievement. All guitars by Steve Caton, bass by Justin Meldel Johnson, and Wave, Kurtzweil, Boozy, and Vocal by Tori Amos. I don't know about this all guitars business. I want an itemized list. Tori gets Wave, Kurtzweil, Boozy, and Vocal. No joke. What if we just got like stuff, Tori Amos? Keyboards. She would never. How many guitars do you think are on this? How many different guitars? 35. Really? (laughs) I think there's a couple. There's probably a couple. (laughs) Maybe we should meet somewhere in the middle. Let's say 20. No, I think probably like two or three different guitars. Okay. I like the question that you asked earlier, which came first, the hotel or the from the Choir Girl Hotel? Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like this is the soul of the album and the heart of the album. Do you agree by any chance? You didn't agree earlier. I think so. I just wanted to revisit it. <laughs> Let me just test that again. Let me slip this question in here a couple different times, see if the answer changes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be the heart of the album sonically in terms of, yeah. you know, kind of the highlight for Tori as producer. I have a hard time mm-hmm. saying the heart of the album thematically or 
lyrically just because I do. I don't have to explain myself to you. Um, just because... <laughs> <laughs> you just have to explain yourself to our audience. <laughs> because this is, you know, let's say a version of a relationship song. And we'll get into the how and the why of that. But given the subject matter on the rest of the album and the circumstances surrounding the album, I have a hard time saying that lyrically that this is making a statement that I would say is the heart of the album. Okay, that's fair. I think uh, thematically you're right. It might not be the heart of the album, although there is that threat of marriage, which I think is present here. But you're right. Like the whole, the idea of grief and loss isn't necessarily present in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I'll agree with you there. But sonically, I this think, This could yeah. be like the pancreas of the album. You're right when you said the crowning achievement of her as a producer. I feel like this is really a great production. And as a player with the band also, like I think the piano on this is really incredible. And this might Mm -hmm. be a highlight for the piano being integrated with the band sound on this album. Yes, yes, a thousand percent. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. (laughs) Give me Um, more, give me more. (laughs) Well, speaking of giving us more, she's really given us nothing when it comes to the song. It's only ever appeared on From the Quagra Hotel and then it appears in 2007 nine years later on eight legs and boots and that is it yeah it's never appeared anywhere else it hasn't shown up many places she hasn't said all that much about it she poured all of it into the song and then she was like you figure it out right (laughs) and thanks for that tori amos the eight legs and boots on which it appears are philadelphia boston washington cleveland chicago chicago nashville west palm beach So that's it. That's what you got. It it does boggle the mind a little bit. And that's been the case with a couple songs. It doesn't show up on any other compilations. No alternate mixes, no alternate versions, no live performances, Mm -hmm. except for like 15 from the same tour where they're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) Well, technically, it does appear on pay-per-view, which was never officially released. It it, it was on the pay-per-view concert in 99. So we can count that, I guess, as well. It was? Yeah. I was so afraid that she was going to cut it because remember the mic drops and she has to someone comes out she's like all right baby hey you know and she's like kind of she has to like pick up the mic and the mic like fell out of the thing Mm. you don't remember that this was on the five and a half weeks tour yes no i don't remember that but i wasn't at that show special neither was i technically yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) but i do remember the moment like that we walked into the venue is right when she was done and jerome the guy that i ended up touring with in 99 to see you in Denver, mm-hmm. um, he said he came out like this was the very first time that we met. And he came out practically inconsolable near tears saying that it was such an amazing show. But unfortunately, she had fucked up Professional Widow and she had fucked up Hotel that they were definitely going to cut those from the pay-per-view special. It was just really emotional. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but then he also said that she definitely said... I know she killed her husband in Waitress, but I don't think she says that. Mm. I don't remember this song being all that prevalent on the Five and a Half Weeks tour. Do you think in typical Tory fashion, she performed this on that pay-per-view special because she was literally playing in a hotel? Oh, that's interesting. It didn't even occur to me. It wasn't entirely absent on that tour, but I always assumed that she played it that night because the show was being taped and it was such a great showcase for them all. She probably felt like, oh, this is an incredible live song. Mm. To 
really just show off, but she did play it 11 times that tour. We should so. watch it. We should watch this performance again. Does she give any kind of like knowing wink like she does when she plays Black Dove in Texas? No, I can't believe you don't remember this. No, this I is don't. shocking to me because not only does she have to like stop the song and start it again because the mic drops, she also has a very key moment where she's pointing to the cameraman saying, I'm going to this keyboard now. I'm moving to this keyboard now. Mm. Like kind of cueing him where she's going to be. And she turns and there's no camera there. There's like a camera rushing in on her face as she's turning. Golly. Yeah. I've watched that performance a million times. That's a lot. Well, I have a lot of time on my hands. Haven't you heard? (laughs) All right. Should we get into the quotes? That's quote. Okay. This is from Rock Etc. May 18th, 1998. I was definitely crashing at a certain point. I mean, emotionally crashing. I had almost crashed, and that's what I sing about in Hotel. It's a strange feeling to see you are crashing, and you know that it is so, and you know nobody will appear and say, you don't have to crash now. You crash, and then you got to crawl out of that one. On this record, I walked a lot with the dead. Maybe they weren't dead, just in another dimension, not physically present at all. Such are the songs. They aren't physical either. I tried to get them into the same dimension. Thoughts on that, David? I love that. I love when Tori talks about her song as entities that she's channeling and trying to bring into our world. So I guess that's what's happening here. Maybe some of them are a little more slippery than others. I don't know. I'm eager to get to the line by line, I guess, because it's interesting to hear her say, I was crashing. When the lyric is, I have to let you crash down. So is she talking to herself? Is everybody crashing? Well, I mean, there's an element of you've got to learn to let yourself fall. Yeah, she's crashing, David. Is that true? I thought we were never supposed to show any kind of weakness or imperfection. Well, yeah, obviously not on this show. (laughs) Before we start every episode, you say, David, I am never going to learn to let you crash. You hear me? Never. (laughs) Stop quoting me. the quote section. Why don't you read this quote from Pretty Good Years by J.S. Jacobs? Okay. The atmospheric ambient tones of Hotel return us to the discotheque I never left with a series of not quite natural beats leading into a more tactile feeling on the chorus. Amos says the song is a remembrance of past loves, a realization of how even when you are happy in your current relationship, they will always be a part of you. You may still care for some, you may still love some, and yet you can allow them to fade into your background. They may no longer affect you physically, but they will always play a part emotionally. A thousand percent, yes. And this leads us, I want to talk about this in context with this next quote. This is from Alternative Press, July 1998. She says, in Hotel, she says goodbye to someone she perhaps might have married. I think as you're getting married, all the loves, even the 10-minute loves, are popping up. Hotel was really like feeling like an agent, a spy, in that he was the greatest guy at one time, and they were giving me time behind enemy lines. Even though she knows they can't be lovers because it's a whole other life, she just can't let him go. That's the thing about letting old lovers go. You don't stop loving some of them. There are a couple you love no less than you ever did, not to mention names, but I'm still in love with a couple. You're not going to try to make it work again, but if they needed you, you'd drop everything. Mm. And that's the quote I was mentioning earlier, where it's like, maybe she didn't say at the altar, but she says, as you're getting married if they needed you you'd drop everything Mm -hmm. i've definitely felt that way and in that 10 year span of time between what i felt for this boy and then the 10 years later when we reconnected the idea of always like having that like maybe it would happen like that hope is what i miss i don't miss him and i don't miss that Mm -hmm. i miss the hope 
you know, the p- infinite possibility. Maybe one day you'll laugh again. But I had to learn to let him crash down. Is there any kind of like sliding doors, Gwyny Paltrow thing happening in the song? She's not really exploring a what if scenario, right? She's like kind of looking back on past loves, but she's not really playing out a fantasy as far as I can tell. Like what if I'd ended up with this person or stayed with this person? What do you think? I think you're right. I don't feel like that's what's happening, but we can explore it. Can I ask you who the they is in this quote when she says they were giving me time behind enemy lines? Do we think that's the muses, the song girls, as Tori would say, letting her revisit these past loves? Oh, that's the way she says it. Hotel was really like feeling like an agent, a spy, in that he was the greatest guy at one time and they were giving me time behind enemy lines. Mm. Maybe the guys were giving her time behind enemy lines. Being with them, the prior relationship with them was time behind enemy lines. It's possible, but I kind of think she means the song is kind of like a gateway. If she's about to be married, then her old lovers are the enemies of her new lover, obviously, if you're if you're thinking about it like that. And so the song is giving her a way to kind of travel back or travel across the lines to revisit them mm-hmm. and to share a an intimate moment with them, even though they aren't there and they're not together. Oh my God, I think we've got it. Hotel is her bachelorette party or her bachelorette party is taking place in the hotel (laughs) to follow this, I don't know, (laughs) to follow this allegory a little bit more. Maybe hotel is like, you know, the stripper. Your last flirtation with someone else that's not your forever love (laughs) before you get married. She's remembering the past. You don't ever sit there and think about all your past loves i'm afraid to eve i'm afraid to because i feel like if i start i might never stop (laughs) well see i mean you do gotta let them go at some point (laughs) i completely understand that feeling of still loving them as much as you ever did you know Mm. some of them um some of them i would not only let crash i would encourage them to yeah some of them (laughs) i would cut the brake lines in their car exactly (laughs) um this is from Keyboard Magazine, May 1999. Even though you've worked with a band in the past, Choir Girl Hotel is the first album with a full band feel. Did you write everything at the keyboard and then hand the parts to other musicians? Or did you work on the arrangements together and improvise a lot of it? I wrote a lot of it at the keyboard, but also at the synth, too. I have a, what do I have? I have a Kurtz file. The good thing is they maxed me out at Kurtz file with sounds. And then my friend came in and gave me a bunch of sounds, Mellotron sounds and stuff, Tron viola, Tron flute, Tronny stuff like that. Do we say Tronny anymore? I started messing with them, and in some cases writing things around some of them, like in hotel. So the keyboard was very present while I was writing. I wrote most everything before I walked into the studio. In past efforts, Amos maintained strict creative control over style and content. This time out, she took a different direction by letting her band help with the details, a move which she believes is a positive step forward in her evolution. I was ready to look at these players as brothers and relinquish some control here and let the drummer decide what the tempo is. That was a huge thing for me. It takes trust and confidence, and I didn't have the kind of trust and confidence in my playing to kind of go, okay, between the two of us, we'll work it. It doesn't have to be about who's on top all the time. I've had these boys in the missionary position for years. I've got to stop playing this male role. I think the album is stronger for that. This is kind of the only quote that I remember in this entire cycle where she says she let them write pieces of it and like decide what the tempo is. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't recall another quote where she admits to having them be any kind of deciding factor in it. But regardless of, you know, whether or not she's recording together with musicians live, she's always let the musicians who played on her albums 
come in and do their thing and write a part. Oh, totally. She's not writing arrangements for all the instruments. We never thought that. Oh, no, no, no. She's always been very trusting of the people that she's worked with. They yeah. always, everybody we've interviewed has said that they came in, they felt like, oh, I hear this kind of a thing, and then they play it and she loves it. Mm-hmm. You know? And sometimes she doesn't. Very rarely. I can't recall any time where she, right off the top of my head, where someone came in and played something, except for all the guitarists that were on this album before Steve Caton. And but uh, also God. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. When Steve put the guitars on God. Mm-hmm. She was like, you ruined my song. What'd you do to my hot track? Where is your God now? Let's let Tori speak for herself for a goddamn change. Mm. This is from Launch Magazine, CD-ROM, issue 19, 1998. Roll it, Oliver. I wanted to take the bloodline further from the keyboard, from the piano to the synth world. And these songs really demanded it because um, there's an ancientness I felt about them, but they're extremely here now and in their go-go boots. You know, they're very, they're very much about um, um, using any aspect in the studio. Obviously, we have loads of gear. We spend all the royalty checks on shoes and gear. I just think it's so fantastic that I walk into uh, the studio in Cornwall. There are computers everywhere. There are eight computers in that house. Just everywhere. Everybody has their own. It's like, no, this, this is mine. Well, this one's mine. And I go, okay. I just bring them tea, stand over their shoulder. I find it all really fascinating. I'm into that with my, with my keyboards. I have my harpsichords and I have the boozies and and I care for them and they have a really sweet piano tech and he brings them blankets and they get humidifiers and you know they're really cared for so I understand that affection for a non quote unquote living being why don't you read this from the quietest do I get to be Tori now sure this is June 19th, 2014. We've done a huge jump in time. You haven't talked much about this song over the years. What the hell is going on in it? <laughs> I imagine he said it that aggressively. From the production, that sounds like a computer game shoot 'em up to the cascading piano section to the strange light organ coda. It doesn't sound like anything else before or since. During the sessions of From the Choir Girl Hotel, we were creating our own loops. There was a small group of us pushing each other, and it was an experimental time. With Hotel, she wanted to be her own sonic destination and was really making it clear that she would accept nothing less than that. On the one hand, there is always a question being asked. What is the intention of the song, and how did we take that etheric expression and turn that into a tangible form? I began to see the songs as feminine geometrical shapes, not floral, but there was a perfume about them. And yes, they can contain male protagonists within them. Then, on the other hand, there is the technical side. Mark is telling me that Matt and I tracked Hotel together. Matt had a click in his head, and I played the keyboard and the piano and sang to his drums. There was a group of five of us during tracking in the studio that was made up of Matt, Mark, Andy Gray, Marcel Van Limbeek, and myself. Then others would come in after basic tracking with the five of us, one by one, once we had the drums, piano, vocals, and programming locked in. Okay, so the um, choir girl sessions were like Tori Amos the college years. There was a lot of experimentation going on. <laughs> what happens at the choir girl hotel stays at the choir girl hotel. Yeah, and I love it for that. I love how free she was with her experimenting and playing with them. And it is, the, whoever wrote this or interviewed her from The Quietest is right. It's not like anything before or since. Not just in her work, 
but anywhere in anyone's work. And the interesting thing, though, I will say, I remember 1998. I fell in love with the song immediately. It was all I listened to. It was all I listened to. And I don't remember who it was, but someone was like, is this Madonna? And someone compared the song to Madonna. And I was so appalled by that. Not that I hated Madonna. I just felt they were very, very different. You know what's funny? What? Well, I could kind of see that because Ray of Light had come out before this album. And there was a lot of electronic music happening at the time. So this isn't unlike Madonna. You're right. I have a distinct memory of playing Black Dove in the car and my mom riding in the car with me. And my mom saying, this sounds like Madonna. And she meant vocally. Really? Yeah. And I was like, no, it doesn't. And I slapped her hand away from the stereo. Slapped her right in her ears. (laughs) Get it together, Gaylene. (laughs) Now, are you willing to say that this is the heart and soul of the album? No. Thematically, sonically, and... Okay, fine. <laughs> so maybe we should just get into the line by line Okay, then. but I have one more question for you. Okay. About this quote. Why do you think when she's talking about kind of sonic shapes, and sometimes that's a visual thing for her, like she can see song structure? In this case, why do you mm-hmm. think she goes out of her way to clarify, not floral... Because I think right before that, she's made it clear that they're geometrical shapes and flowers aren't geometrical shapes. So she's not saying they're shapes, not floral shapes. She's saying I was smelling them too. They had a smell and it wasn't like a flower. It wasn't like I was smelling a flower. I think she's just making it clear that it wasn't like a flower scent, but there was a perfume to them. Okay. Florals for spring, groundbreaking. And she makes a point here to say that there are sometimes male protagonists in them. And then she talked earlier about I had to stop being the male. She does. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Which means like I've got to let other people drive the beat instead of being so in control of the time. And of course, obviously, this is the 90s and she's talking in like binary gender roles you know (laughs) she's talking in like male female cliche but i think she means that she has to let other people drive the vehicle Mm -hmm. you know if she's gonna get anywhere and thank god she did so i'm willing to believe that like matt really decided the tempo on this Yeah, especially because this is so driven by rhythm and there's a marriage here. And so I don't want to say the drummy is kind of pulling her along, but it's definitely the driving Mm -hmm. force in the song. So Mm -hmm. I love that they tracked it together. Mm. We knew that they tracked everything together, basically, except for Jackie's strength. But I would kill any of my past loves (laughs) to get that piano track. Yeah. Do you think this was like kind of hot and heavy for them looking at each other in their closed circuit TV monitors recording the song? Imagine there's such a passion and such a drive to the song. I can't imagine playing this song and not being completely overwhelmed physically. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is a song where you have to just kind of let yourself go, I think. And she does every time. Have you noticed like any live version where she sings where are the velvets bing 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 and she's just like that plinking right between where are the velvets that one specific part here let's play it that plinking right there she's always like got her head thrown back and like she's literally like shaky face <laughs> like everything's just she has to let it go you know god you're right this song makes me want to twiddle all my knobs and i don't even have any well i'll buy you a mixer board i want a kurtz file it's a little expensive david <laughs> i'm worth it merry christmas to me <laughs> should we do the line by line yeah Met him in a hotel, and let's be clear, it's met um, like them, apostrophe E-M, met him in a hotel. Like, there's numerous. It's not met him in a hotel. Mm. Who is she meeting in this hotel, David? 
her exes. All her past loves. Maybe she's visiting the Choir Boy Hotel. Maybe she's going behind enemy lines to the Boy Hotel Mm -hmm. where all the dudes Mm -hmm. are hanging out. Interesting. Because you're right, it's plural. And I always assumed or remembered wrongly that it was met him, apostrophe I am, in a hotel. (laughs) Like she was really remembering one of her past loves who maybe she met in a hotel. She talked about on the 94 tour flying just to be with someone for like a couple of hours, leaving after a show, getting to spend like an hour or two with a person and having to fly back to the next city, you know? Mm -hmm. So that is what I think of when you mentioned met him in a hotel, like a rendezvous. But I think the distinction between met him in a hotel and met um in a hotel, met them, takes it out of memory. If it were met him in a hotel, it's definitely coming from our memory. But if it's met them in a hotel, it's this sort of like congregation. I can see this congregation of all her past relationships coming together at this one point in time, at this crucial moment in her life where she is now confronting them all at once because you would never meet them all ex- unless your door dots in at her wedding. You don't meet all your exes in the same room. In a hotel. It's interesting that we've placed it in a hotel because when you're talking about past loves or when you're talking about romance, a hotel brings to mind a certain thing. Are you talking about sex? S-E-X, David. Oh my God, H-O-T-E-L. <laughs> and also hotels are where people can congregate from all over the world for a moment passing by each other like ships in the night yeah it's like where everybody just comes in and out so it makes a weird kind of sense that all of her past relationships are coming in and out of, of a place it has to be in a hotel if you think of like a ghost hotel I'm thinking of like that episode of buffy hush where these like spirits are just kind of like gliding through that wasn't in a hotel but these like spirits gliding through this hotel mm-hmm. are you here on business or pleasure maybe both there's something about hotels that just, you know, you know what they do to me. <laughs> what don't they do to you? Beneath ground. Beneath ground. Why is it beneath ground? Is it a bunker when she says going behind enemy lines? Is it like a trench? Yeah, that's what I think that there is like some sort of element of espionage here. Or is it the underworld that she visited previously? And it's like back to the past. Can she stop dragging us to the underworld? <laughs> I wish she'd take us back there. I miss the underworld. Beneath it also conjures up an alternate dimension, maybe a sliding door scenario, but also like a what if. Like maybe it's about to play out this imaginary encounter and that's why it's beneath ground. It's like the opposite side of the earth that mm-hmm. we're in, the opposite reality. Mm. Tell me that he's missing. Tell me that he's missing. Well, maybe there's more an element of kind of playing out a fantasy here than we thought, because this takes me back to the quote about people in your life who you would drop everything for and go to help if they needed that. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's what's happening here. Like this person has gone missing and she's going to send out the troops to go look for him or help him. Yes. I think that um, this also takes me back to the quote that we played at the beginning where she says that he's in big trouble, that people are deserting him and that no matter what he's done, she's not going to desert him. So this is setting up that scenario. This is the exposition where she finds out that he's missing. All of her loves have congregated at this hotel, and he's the one that's missing. I think because she's meeting multiple people in a hotel, I think she's encountering all of her past at this exact moment in time, and there's one specific person who's not there, and she has to go find him and save Mm -hmm. him, or confront him at least, and have that final goodbye, or have some encounter with him. Is there anyone that we think is in the running for this he who isn't Eric Ross? 
Oh no, it's Eric Ross, right? Okay. That's what I imagine, <laughs> right. right? God, I feel it feels so good to just say it out loud. <laughs> I mean, I don't know her life, and I don't know who she's writing about, but I imagine that it has to be Eric Ross, just yeah. because she spends so much time with him. Yeah, but it could be anybody. Tell me this is Tell me this is one for Lollipop Gestapo. If we're going into this idea of espionage, you've got the idea of the Gestapo, right? Mm -hmm. And the Gestapo was a spy organization in Nazi Germany. The Geheime Staatspolizei, abbreviated Gestapo, was the official secret police of Nazi Germany and in German-occupied Europe. The force was created by Hermann Göring in 1933 by combining the various security police agencies of Prussia into one organization. So she's bringing in the idea of the secret police. So tell me this is one for Lollipop Gestapo. Is that her alter ego? I've always thought Lollipop Gestapo, she was referring to herself. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's very on brand for Tori to sort of combine a reference like Gestapo, but then make it kind of feminine or cutesy or whimsical. So if Tori's... Like Ice Cream Assassin? Yeah. So if Tori's going to have like a secret spy organization or aspect of her personality that's Gestapo, it's definitely going to be Lollipop Gestapo. Right. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's a pretty good drag name. It is a really good drag name. And so this is one, this is a case that only she can solve, right? This is a case that this is one for Lollipop Gestapo. She's, yeah. she's in charge of finding this missing person. She's got her big magnifying glass out looking for clues. You You were wild. Where are you now? I've always felt that line deep in my soul about aging, about time passing. I mean, I'm obviously on board with a narrative that she's trying to save the person who's been deserted, the one who's missing, but I don't know why. I don't know why I feel like that is inward directed, like to herself as well, not just to that guy, but also to herself. Yes. Do you feel that? I do. And this is one of those songs where my interpretation of it, my experience of it was kind of frozen in time, you know, in 1998 when I first heard it. And I haven't really reevaluated these lyrics until walking through this with uh-huh. you. And now I absolutely think she's talking about herself and that this is kind of the equivalent of I once knew a hot girl, which yeah. is a reference to herself. You're so right. Tori always talked about Eric like he was the wolf, right? And I'm not saying that we know that this song is about Eric or even suggesting that it is because I don't know her life, but she always talked about him when they were dating as he's the wolf. And when you're confronting someone from your past and she's saying you were wild, where are you now? Like to look at him in trouble, being deserted, as she said earlier, it's got to be sort of a sobering reflection to look at someone who you knew in the past, who was everything to you, who maybe was the animus, the man, the male, energy and he was wild and now he's deserted he's in big trouble it's got to be sort of sobering to think of your history with that person and what might have been where you would be if you had stayed with them as they're sort of on their downward spiral as they're sort of going down to think of the two of you together it's got to bring up some emotion for her and some reflecting back to herself yeah That's so apropos considering, you know, maybe this character is on the brink of marriage and she's sort Mm -hmm. of assessing the fact that she, you know, voiced that she never thought she'd get married or didn't want to get married. And maybe in Mm -hmm. some way she feels like she's she's gaining something, but also losing something as I guess anyone does when they enter into that kind of commitment or relationship. So maybe she's just weighing that and kind of mourning her younger self who was so wild and she feels like she's being tamed a little bit. There's also like that physical 
sexual way where you're looking around at all the people that you've slept with. You know, you are being tamed. So you are, uh, like, if you are in this hotel with, if you're meeting um in a hotel, all of them, then being around them makes you realize, like, wow, I've changed. Mm. Do you think there's a little bit of regret there? Regret about things that happened in the past or regret about moving on from all of that? About moving on. Does it feel like you were wild? Where are you now? Where are you now feels a little hopeless almost, right? Yeah. Or maybe there's just fear that we all have around change. Like, am I going to lose myself? Am I not going to recognize myself? Am I going to lose myself somehow? It's because of how attractive wild seems to me. You were wild. Like that is the pinnacle to me of being for me in my personal life, being mm. wild. You're wild. You're wild. You're wild. What? You're wild. That was a dirty dancing clip that we just played. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me and my roommate, my ex-roommate Ryan, my ex, my ex-roommate Ryan. Oh my God. That was like taking a bullet to hear Ryan is now your ex-roommate. My ex <laughs> and his current roommate, Caitlin, which is also his long-term girlfriend. Stop. Stupid name, Caitlin. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> she and I always quote that dirty dancing. You're wild. You're wild. <laughs> <laughs> you and I do that too, but I was doing it like independent of you. So I feel like we came together in that way. It's yeah, not something that we stole that. from each other. <laughs> I don't care. No, it's just you and me and also Caitlin. That's all. Anyway, but being wild is like the pinnacle of being in my mind. So it feels, of course, where are you now? Feels like, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is fear and the change of it all but I never want to stop being wild. And that's why I am how I am. Mm. And that's why I am attracted to the people that I'm attracted to and why it never works out. Do you think Tori will always kind of be a little bit wild? Like how long can one be wild, really? And I mean that like in a very in a very specific way. For example, do you think Tori will be playing like Precious Things when she's 80 years old? Yeah. Saying you yes. can make me come. Yes. Okay, just checking. It'll be empowering for us 70-year-olds. <laughs> We're going to, woo! <laughs> we'll be asleep until that song comes on. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's You'll have to shake, shake my walker, Eve. You'll be like, she's going to do <laughs> precious things, David. How? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> 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 Give me more. Who is she needing more from? Is it from the missing man, the missing lover that we can assume is the lover, the missing person? Or she, she just needs one more encounter with that person? How do you take this? I think it's all of that. And I also kind of love the idea that in the past and all those relationships, it was never enough. And she was, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a little bit of like a Pele throwback for me. Like she hadn't found her fire. She was feeding on the men. And no matter what they did, it was on to the next and it was never enough. So. Oh, that's interesting because I just had the thought. If we're talking about ex-lovers, let's just be really frank here and use their names as a way to convey these ideas. So if we're talking about ex-lovers, for example, and she's hunting down Eric Ross to kind of wrap it up with him in her heart and in her mind, if Give Me More is directed at the current love in this story, that all of, she was wild, but she still needed more. And now this Give Me More where, she, where her voice and the notes soar to like this height where she never has gone before, if that's directed at the current person, then it kind of sheds light on, I have to learn to let you crash down, the, pe- the people in the past, because now I have more. Like, I was wild, but now I need more. She's hunting for more. This next person gives her more. I like that, yes. 
as attractive as those wild years were and all the dark princes, let's say, because she would, that it ultimately left her needing more and she wasn't fulfilled emotionally or maybe those relationships mm-hmm. weren't healthy and she's finally getting to the point where she's ready to move on from all of that. Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Give me more. <laughs> I've never thought of it in that way until just this moment because it's always been sort of like a bloodletting for me and I think because I'm older now and I'm evaluating it from an older perspective like before it was always give me more I need more boy blood to quote Tori I need more of the wildness I yeah need more of that. and that was maybe like a very young interpretation but like as she's on the cusp of marriage when writing these tracks these hot tracks I feel it could be that she Yeah, she may be losing her wild side, but she's gaining so much more. I love that more kind of mature read of this, where you finally get to a point where you realize you not only want more, but you deserve more. We all deserve more. (laughs) Stop talking about me through Tori and Mrs. Lyrics. Why? One day I'll devalue wilding, (laughs) but not now. Not today. to learn to let you crash down obviously the guy that lollipop gestapo has gone to save obviously maybe even all of the men in her life all the relationships in the past i have to let you go i have to learn to let you crash down you have to fend for yourself now if people are deserting you it's something that you have to deal with and i have to learn to let you deal with it i can't be here anymore i'm needed elsewhere i can't save you But let's go back to exhibit A in the quotes when she said she was crashing emotionally. So... I mean, wouldn't you be crashing emotionally if you saw someone that you used to be with also crashing? Maybe in some ways that means whatever her feelings are around this shift in her life, this major change, rather Mm -hmm. than trying to suppress them, she's going to let herself feel her feelings. And be okay with maybe having second thoughts about getting married or be okay with letting, you know, that fantasy of not showing up at her wedding and going to 7-Eleven instead play out. Going back to the narrative where the lollipop Gestapo is hunting for the one who's missing, it feels to me like I have to learn to let you crash down. If she's crashing emotionally, it feels like there's no resolve or resolution, Mm. at least in that chorus. Or learning to let him crash down is the resolution, right? Yeah. Met him in a hotel. Met him in a hotel. Again, it's them. Met him. E apostrophe E-M. Met him in a hotel. Met him in a hotel. So we're back in the hotel. She hasn't been able to find her past love. She hasn't been able to find the one that was missing. And she's back in the hotel with all her other past encounters. I had never thought on the them that she's meeting in this hotel. What if the them are the songs or the choir girls? Because she said they let me behind enemy lines. And she's talked about how the songs in general kind of give her access to different planes or different experiences and all that. Maybe she's talking about these songs who live in this hotel that she's been hanging 
hanging out with, given her access to go behind enemy lines or to explore whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is really kind of more of a title track than I thought. I love that you call it a title track because it is the closest that we have to a title track. And if she is talking about the songs, then I can see how maybe the word hotel is floating around as she's writing this, right? Obviously, the word hotel is floating around. And I feel like if she's talking about the songs and that she met them in a hotel, then this album has to be called something about from a hotel, mm-hmm. confessionings from a hotel, from the choir girl, because a choir girl from the choir, from the choir girl hotel. I you got there. Met him in a hotel. I think that's valid. I think your interpretation is valid, but I've spent 22 years of my life believing that she was meeting all of her past loves in a hotel. So it's really hard for me to now suddenly think that she's meeting the song girls in a hotel, but I think that it's valid. You say he's the biggest thing will be this year. You say he's the biggest thing there'll be this year. Obviously they're talking about the one who's missing, right? And the reason he's missing is now he's gone on to have a hot new life. Is that how you interpret this? Maybe. I'm kind of thinking maybe we're switching to another character here, and I hate to say it and start dropping the names again, but maybe she's talking about her addiction to... Uh, yes, are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. Should we not I'm say... ready for it. Well, we haven't mentioned him in so long. That's I'm true. Healed. We haven't mentioned him for two songs since She's Your Cocaine when we talked about <laughs> oh, him. Oh, right. <laughs> It's taken us an abnormally long time to record these yes. two tracks. So. We talked about them exhaustively <laughs> two songs ago, but it feels like it's been forever. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a little Trent Reznor here happening. Especially because of these lines. I guess that what I'm seeking, I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. Yes. And if you honestly think about it, I feel like probably if you're looking at Trent Reznor... And if you're looking at Eric Ross, she probably seems to have more unfinished business with Trent Reznor. It feels like Eric Ross was a little bit more amicable Mm -hmm. in at least how they've discussed it, how they both have talked about it, how she's mentioned him in passing or when they were broken up. But with Trent Reznor, it feels like something was completely unresolved, whatever that is, at least through this album cycle. I don't think again... I don't think into the next album, but we can examine that when we're there. But he keeps popping up. What do you think about maybe this all just being a huge misunderstanding? And I'm asking because I've been watching a lot of Oprah. And at one point, Oprah and Whoopi mutually thought that the other did not like them. Well. And they finally got together at a party. And Oprah was like, Whoopi, I thought you hated me. What did I do? And Whoopi was like, Oprah, I thought you hated me. What did I do? Oh, my God. And they cried and hugged. Maybe that's all Tori and Trent need. You know, I don't think so. Somehow, uh, I'm guessing something a little bit more happened between Tori and Trent than Whoopi and Maybe. Oprah. Either way, I'm convinced my Angelou was involved in both. You say he's the biggest thing I'll be this year. I guess that what I'm seeking, I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. I feel like you say he's the biggest thing there'll be this year has a lot to do with ego. I feel like he's an unhealthy figure. You say he's the biggest thing that will be this year. Maybe it's because she says, I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. I'm not looking for the next big thing. I'm looking for something real. I'm Mm. looking for more. That's better. And, you know, it could even be abstract that way. We don't have to be talking about anyone specific from the past. But just because someone is flashy or has something that's kind of superficially attractive about them, still, that's not fulfilling everything that you need, maybe. 
And it's super empowering, too, to decide, like, to know what you need and know what you don't need. And it's just interesting to me that she says, I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. Almost kind of like it's either a discovery, like I, I realize now in this moment that what I'm seeking isn't here, or it's something that she's learned about herself along the way. Now this is the first time when she says met this time she's meeting a specific person it says met him in a hotel met him in a guest world mm. and I feel like she's successfully gone back in time and now this is an actual literal meeting in a hotel like we were talking about in the 94 tour where she would fly to a city to see somebody for just a minute and that being that desperate or that lonely or that in between she was in between, right? They had broken up. She and Eric had broken up and she was craving. Remember, she talked about being, I was craving a man to desire. I was craving a man to lust after, right? Mm-hmm. That's a quote, basically. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> um, but that seems to me that limbo is the guess world. That limbo territory, that being unsure of where you're headed, right? And just needing and someone, anyone, that's the guess world. Mm-hmm. I like it. And I would like to offer an alternative interpretation, not because I think there's anything wrong with that. But I could see it also mm -hmm. being, what if now that there is a specific him, what if we are pivoting? I know, who, yeah, I know what you're going to say. I what? already know. Tell me, tell me what, tell me. Tell me and then I'll tell you if no, you're right. No, you tell me what I'm going to tell you. That <laughs> I think you're going to say that the him is the new guy, the one she's marrying. Well, God damn it. That is what I was going to say. And it's less exciting now, <laughs> but I guess I brought this on myself. Walk us through it. All right. Maybe she's revisited the past and again is kind of coming to terms with what feels like a loss or at least a big change. And now she's talking yes. about the person that she's with in the present because we have a very specific met him, not met him. And met him in a guest world where there was uncertainty happening. She's still in that limbo place. Yeah, I love that. I, I really like that, your interpretation there, because it puts him in color where everyone else is in black and white. Mm. Everyone else is a wash, metum, yem. The very specific him is really painting this person in color. And after she's been through all of these guys, after she's confronted all these past lovers, then she meets this one person who she met in a hotel when she was in a limbo state when she didn't know what was happening in her life in a guest world. Hmm. And it's also not forget that she really crashed down in a hotel in Arizona when she was writing Hey Jupiter. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're so right. And her whole life was hotels, you know, at that time, touring all the time. Four seasons, double tree, it don't matter. But that it means something very specific. It's like anything can happen there. When you are living out of hotels more than you're not, I imagine that you're stuck in a guest world. Like mm -hmm. nothing feels really settled. You know? Yes. Guest anyone, anyone but you. Whoever this guy is seemed like an unlikely partner or an unlikely person for her to end up with or marry. And again, because she said that she never thought she would get married. And a lot of times when people talk about the person that they end up spending their lives with, it's something like that. Like, I never would have pictured myself with someone like this, or I never thought I'd get married, but we met and like, it just felt right. And I also feel like this whole next part is to the him, that he was wild too. And as wild as he was, he's now wanting more as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, and let's not forget that he was the one who loved her wild way. Oh my God. 
We have cracked the case. Oh, my I'm God. I'm telling you, each of these episodes should be paired with a 90-minute a crime investigation documentary on CBS. I do feel like we need some really urgent music playing under this yeah. conversation. Totally. And we should break these episodes up and ending on a cliffhanger in each installment. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of 48 Hours lately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were wild. Where are you now? Because it comes after guest anyone but you. And I agree with your interpretation. And it seemed unlikely that it was going to be this one particular person. And then to just say you were wild again, it has to be to him. I mean, they're they're both in that way ready for each other. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Whereas my whole life I had identified with this song in the people from the past, like oh. Maybe in 10 years it will work out. In the living in that hopeful state, it never occurred to me that it is about wanting more for your future and from someone else that can give you more rather than trying to get more out of these people who can't give you more. And I have been looking for more from the wrong people. Mm, my God, this is the moment. I know. And I like to pinpoint it every episode when I think you hit the bullseye <laughs> and whatever song we're talking about becomes my new favorite song. Oh, oh. This has always been my favorite song, so I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> but lateral. <laughs> We got Give Me More again, which is her, I think, accepting that she needs more and she's going to go get more. So this is not in the lyric booklet, but is she saying, can't you just or can you just or can't you do or can you do? I think what it's, is she saying? I've always heard, can't you just? like Me too. Can't you just, uh, God. Exactly. Like, can't you just give me more? And at that point is where it becomes like this desperate, like need, I need more. Yeah. And you know, she's like, you know what you're doing, so don't even. Exactly. And I feel this is where it becomes clear that it's about this relationship maybe where this person sucked her energy, yet she was always drawn to him, even to the point where she could be getting married, yet if he needs something, she'll go back and help him. And she's having this realization that she has to learn to let him crash down. Mm. And he's not ever going to give her what she needs. Can't you just... She's like trying to... It's like pulling water from a, a stone, trying to get something out of him. And that's when I think she realizes, like, no, he can't give yeah. me more. We know Tori loves an emotional vampire. Don't we all? That was Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> she's trying to break the pattern. So am I. From you, all right? I learned it by watching you. Where did you get this stuff? <laughs> Nobody says, I want to be codependent when I grow up. I did. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's why we're friends. <laughs> Let's talk about 
those high notes. Effortless. Effortless. And in this song, she reaches heights that she never reaches. This is probably one of her highest notes. Do we know that to be true, categorically true? What is the highest note she's ever hit, and did it hit her back? Well, according to this video I found David called the vocal range of Tori Amos, it seems that the notes in Hotel, these notes specifically, are F5s and G5s, which is almost the highest that she's ever hit. But it seems like she's hit a C6 from a performance of Professional Widow in Normal, Illinois in 1996, and a D6 in the backing screeched vocals of Heart of Gold. So unfortunately, this is not the highest note she's ever hit, but it is among the highest. Does it tell you anything about her emotional state? I think there's, yeah, it's kind of like a whale. Desperation? Thank you, yes. A whale of desperation, that is more accurate. You nailed it. She's basically like, oh, you love to hit me note. And when she goes up there, it coincides with her never going back. That this is a transition, that she's like ascended to a certain level. Now it can never be the same. Yeah, but how long is it gonna last? I feel like Tori's- Well, it's lasted for 22 years. I don't know. I feel like Tori has ascended to many new levels and she's still crucifying herself and never going back and- Rolling Stone just released her 2020 Q&A. How was your 2020 with Tori Amos? Mm. And they said, who is your secret savior throughout the quarantine? And she said, husband. So it's been going on for 22 years. Their secret Santa must be the most boring gift exchange on earth. Who did you get, <laughs> you? Who did you get, you? Okay, I guess we're done. Oh. distinction between I have to learn to let you crash down and I have to learn to let you crash full stop? I don't necessarily think so. I think it's maybe more a factor of just phrasing and fitting the lyrics to the music. I don't necessarily think it means anything. You're probably right and I know that she writes with a lot in her mind in terms of it doesn't always lyrically make sense for example and sometimes it is about the music and sometimes it is about just the sonic structure of the song and sometimes it's about the rhyme and sometimes it's just about things that sound good together you know stream of consciousness but i've always put meaning into I have to learn to let you crash down because that to me shows me someone kind of like spiraling down and I'm powerless to stop it. And I'm realizing that there's nothing I can do. So I'm letting it happen all the way to the point where you actually hit rock bottom. And that's the crash full stop. I know that she likely didn't mean it that way. And that it is about the fitting this, you know, having an end to that chorus. But to me, it's like the final crash. It's like he hit rock bottom. You know, she's still not going to save him. I think you're probably right, and it's also satisfying kind of poetically, aesthetically, for it to end on Crash, and the music has mm -hmm. kind of dropped out at that point, and it's just her voice. Yeah, like Crash, boom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it matches the fact that the music kind of crashes to a halt there as well. It does, yeah, and then it comes crashing back in. That's almost mm -hmm. a moment not unlike right on time from Cotolite Sneeze with the pause. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I kind okay. of like that sonic callback, if you will, since I think there's some subject matter overlap here. Subject matter and inspirational overlap. Mm-hmm. Not to name names or anything. We 
where are the velvets? Then all of a sudden she gets all Neil Gaiman-y on us. She's like, crap, I wrote this whole album and I forgot to do it. In service of hotel, I have brought in our Neil Gaiman correspondent, Lauren Eshwi. Hello. Hi, baby. How are you? I'm well. I know that Where Are the Velvets When You're Coming Down has something to do with Neil, but I'm yes. hoping that you can enlighten the world. <laughs> this is what I live for. So the Velvets are characters that show up in um, his novel Neverwhere. Mm-hmm. Neverwhere is a book about, I think they actually made a, there was a TV show of it, and I think there was a radio play of it too. There's been a few versions. It's a kind of classic Neil Gaiman story of like a dude stumbles into a magical world, and there's a magical girl, and they go on a magical journey. You know that old story. I'm not saying it's not a good story, but he tells it a lot. But at any rate, I really like it. It was actually the first novel I read by him back in like 1999, I think. And the Velvets are these characters that our main character encounters in this underworld. He like Mm -hmm. found this magical world underneath London. They're kind of like vampires, but they don't like suck your blood. They just like kind of suck your warmth away. They just lead him down deeper into the underground. And like, they were just so pretty. And he's like looking at them. and was like, oh, like you get like entranced by them. They're kind of almost mm-hmm. like sirens, almost, you know? Okay. I mean, they weren't like mermaid at all. They were just like, they, in my head, I always pictured just like really goth chicks. <laughs> that was kind of how they were described. Like, the Velvets. I just pictured like the late 90s goth. That was what I was like envisioning, was just like super yeah. goth, like chokers, velvet dresses, yeah. like, you know, like very much that. But yeah, so I don't know. I always enjoyed that line, though, because I just thought about it as like in the context of hotel. Like, it was like a, just about something that that sucks your energy away, just something that's draining you, you know, just like, okay. yeah. What do you think about it? Because I know how much you love hotels, so I was, like, very excited to tell you about what the Velvets are or what they represent. I want to hear more about this London underground town, because if she met him in a hotel beneath ground, I'm wondering if this whole song mm. is set in Neverwhere. I'm trying to remember where he met her. What was his name? Richard, I think, and he meets mm-hmm. this girl, Dor. D-O-O-R. Ooh. Um, I know. Or Dootson? I know, trust me. <laughs> trust me, these are all things I've been thinking for like 20 years, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dor Dootson. <laughs> it's so funny, but there's a girl, the character's name is Dor, and she's magic. Her whole family, they're really important to the underground, almost not in a royal family way, but kind of like they're very special. They have like special abilities. And um, her whole family is killed, and she runs away from these dudes that are pursuing her. And she runs into Richard, and I cannot remember exactly where, but she like literally like runs into him. And then he kind of gets swept up in the whole, these dudes are pursuing me thing. Ends up following her into this London Below, which has like all these things, like there's like this night market that happens after Harrods closes. And they go to like London Bridge and do weird stuff, and they like other people that help them and... Yeah, it's fun. Neverwhere is really fun. Am I correct in assuming that Neverwhere is the underground? Kind of. They never refer to it as that, but that's uh-huh. the name of the novel anyway. And it's kind of like being in this limbo. It's got like an Alice in Wonderland vibe of like falling into a world that doesn't make sense to you. Like it has its own mm-hmm. logic, you know? And the dudes that are pursuing are like genuinely scary. Like the dudes that are pursuing them are creepy oh, man. as hell. Well, she talked about right before getting married, being in this kind of space where she was confronting, I guess, the idea of all her exes, you know, and like going through them in her mind and like having them all in a a place. And I wonder if that idea is limbo in her mind and then sort of Mm. neverwhere seems like this kind of alternate space or this other territory. Yeah. I mean, tell me if I'm way off base, but I wonder if where are the velvets, if these men 
have all sucked your energy. If the Velvets are these sort of energy vampires that you seek comfort from. That is exactly how I thought of them. Really? An energy vampire only works because they're charming in some way, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be drawn to them and they wouldn't be able to take your energy. So That's how I was saying they're like sirens. Like, they draw yeah. them along. And so where are those people that you find so charming that draw you in where are they when you're coming down where are they when you need them they're not there is that accurate would you say i think so i've still always just kind of been like honestly the, the part of the line that i always tried to figure out and i'm not sure what i think it is the, the coming down part like coming down from where or what that's what would help me decide better what is being implied with the velvets i'd have a better idea of what they're a metaphor for I, you know obviously there's the drug reference like when you're coming down when you're mm -hmm. coming off of like an addiction right. of some kind and i think that applies right. here like an addiction to men an addiction to yeah. cycling through men or needing what they have needing, as i say needing something from them yeah which makes me think that, that in that case then she would be kind of talking about herself almost in a way too because Mm -hmm. The Velvets need to draw, they, that's what they do. They literally were just drawing warmth out of him. They're like, oh, you're so mm -hmm. warm. They keep like sucking his warmth away. He just kept getting colder and colder. It's so mysterious. It really is. But I was, I was really excited to talk to you about this because I know your love for hotels. So I was like, oh, I can't wait to like deepen your like, enjoyment Thank of you. song by just adding this layer. My favorite live, when she plays it live, that's truly my favorite moment because she'll always say like, where are the velvets and then there's those quick notes right after ding, 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 like those notes yep and she's like throws her head back and it's like always full yep. shake where are the velvets but it's shake 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 yeah oh my god i miss it i know oh live music i'd go to an open mic night right now i'd go to an improv <laughs> that's intense you must be missing it oh god <laughs> i truly am thank you for shedding light on the greatest song ever written thank <laughs> you this is my pleasure <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye, baby. What does that line mean to you? Maybe she's sort of invoking her own inner velvet, her own seductress, her own siren mm. to kind of dovetail with you were wild. Where are you now? Like, where is this aspect of self that I feel like I'm losing or no longer have access to? I've always taken that as like, where are the people that are going to keep you warm when everything goes wrong? You know, like they're not anywhere for you. Where are the velvets mm -hmm. when you're coming down? Where are your real friends? <laughs> where are the, where are your people yeah. when you have nothing and you're crawling on your knees? Yeah. And maybe she actually means Neil, which is kind of what you just said. Like the velvets are mm -hmm. your close friends or the people that you can always turn to and lean on. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, yeah. in this moment, she's alone. Because I have to learn to let you crash down. If we go back to talking about herself, she was at a very low point. If we're talking about confronting your past lovers and confronting your just your past in general, obviously that includes whatever circumstances prompted Boyce for Pele is confronting that again. And just being at such a low point is one way to interpret it. I don't know. <laughs> I will say one embarrassing thing, though. When I was 18 years old, I worked at a gas station, and I remember, <laughs> this is so stupid, but I, I, I would have, like, this little sign that I would, like, write a question on or, like, a saying or a quote every day, and it would just, like, be there on my cash register. 
And I landed on where are the velvets when you're coming down? And it got so many like comments. Like, what does that mean? I'm like, what do you think it means? <laughs> that I, I would always have that on my register. Where are the velvets when you're coming down? And for a long time, I wanted to get that quote tattooed on my body. Where are the velvets when you're coming down? Know who your real friends are. Velvet may be alluring. They may be hot. They may be attractive. They may be alluring like velvet, but they will not be there for you when you are coming down. Remember who your friends are. And then I eventually circled to I Have to Learn to Let You Crash Down, which to me now is my favorite lyrical moment. But we're not there yet. So ask me again in a minute. Okay. <laughs> in the lyric book, right in the middle of nowhere, she spells out the word hotel in big, like, spaced out letters. H-O-T-E-L. And I've often listened to the song to see if she says that. When you're coming, coming down, H O T L. <laughs> when you're coming down, I I am a H O T E L. Don't you forget. Imagine. You know what? wild where are you now a repeating of it you know that's kind of the moment where the song starts to slow to a halt and changes musically Mm -hmm. so it's almost like there is a letting go maybe Mm -hmm. and i think i think i think that you were wild in this instance is more kind of wistful than mournful Mm -hmm. yes i was gonna say the exact same thing that she's letting her wildness crash down Mm -hmm. that the wildness is coming to a close Mm -hmm. there's like a real release there and a letting go yeah so because she has soared during the wear of the velvets and she's like up there searching for the velvets and there's no velvets around. Mm. She's realized who the energy vampires are and they are no longer in her life. She's going around opening all the doors and the rooms are empty. And it's interesting that the velvets steal warmth from you. And if she's looking for her lovers, the velvets, if all the velvets are her past flings or whatever, that they've stolen warmth from her, it's all just been like energy suck. King Solomon's mind. King Solomon's Minds. The biblical Solomon, a king of Israel and son of King David, was renowned for his fabled wisdom, power, and his personal fortune. The idea of minds full of riches was first introduced in the late 19th century by author H. Ryder Haggard in his blockbuster adventure novel, King Solomon's Minds. King Solomon's Minds tells of a search of an unexplored region of Africa by a group of adventurers led by Alan Quartermain for the missing brother of one of the party. It is one of the first English adventure novels set in Africa and is considered to be the genesis of the lost world literary genre and i think that's why she has referenced it here obviously going back in time looking through a hotel filled with all her ex-loves it must feel like she's in a lost world and here at the end of the song if she's found the hymn if she's found her forever love the man that's in color as opposed to everybody being in black and white if she's found him and she's coming out of the mind that it must feel like she's come out of this lost world towards something really wonderful or towards a future towards the more that she's been looking for king solomon's mind exit 75 what is this part mm. beyond just the rhyme of it the sound of it well We know she loves a biblical reference, so check, check, check. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's Mm -hmm. this idea of treasure hunting or Mm -hmm. looking for treasure or maybe misunderstanding, maybe sort of going on a hunt for fool's gold and looking for love in all the wrong places. 
type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so she's deciding to remove herself from that process. She's getting off the freeway at exit 75. What's the picture that you get there? Is that the picture you get is her on a freeway and she's exiting the freeway? Yeah, I do. Interesting. Of course, exit 75. I feel like she is getting off the freeway there. But when King Solomon's Mines, I feel like it is tied to Medamina Hotel beneath ground. Mm. And you're right, like the idea of fool's gold. But coming out of the mines covered in black dust, hair askew, realizing that you can't crash down any further than a mine. So I feel like... Yeah, and maybe there was a cave-in. Yeah, exactly. And she's got her pickaxe, I was about to say, and she's made her way out, and she's walking along the highway, and she sees exit 75, and that's where, like, whatever exit 75 is to her, obviously it's a metaphor of some kind, or maybe it is actually an exit off the highway, Mm -hmm. of this highway of ex-lovers. She's ready to get off the road, and exit 75, that's 75 miles, that's a long distance, so I feel like she's world-weary, and she's done some traveling, and now she's ready to get off the highway. But I've never seen her in a car. I've always seen her walking. I'm kind of seeing the end of the Spark video too, Mm -hmm. where the blondes pull up in the car and they pull away from her, but she's still alive. Exactly, but this time she like, she's. I feel like she's on foot. Exactly like the Spark video, but she's gonna make it to the exit, Mm. right? And everything that she's been through, all of this, she's still alive. And that is such a, do you feel like there's a heroine there? Do you feel like it's a picaresque novel? <laughs> I do. You know, I love that. I know you love Don Quixote. I do. She's a woman of La Mancha. Don Quixote. Mm, Don Quixote. <laughs> Don Quixote. Exit 75. I do want to make note of it because I did request the song a lot in 2005 and she actually told me that it was a West Coast song, more of a California song. And so I've done some research on the exit lists. If, of course, you know, it could be a metaphor or it could be just solely for the rhyme. But if she's traveling on the I-5, exit 75, she's getting off at Avenida Presidio in San Clemente. So that could be where her real love is. Her real love is not on the 101 because there is no exit at 75 on the 101. If she's traveling on I-8, then her love won't be there because there's also no exit 75 on the I-8. But if she's traveling on the I-10, she's getting off to find her true love at Mountain View Avenue in Loma Linda. And she's stopping by Aurora's Coffee and Tea, possibly Domino's Pizza, Farmer Boy's Restaurant, Lupe's Azteca, Mexican Restaurant, Ranu Restaurant, Sorrentino's Italian Restaurant, or Subway, gassing up at the Valero and going for a quick shopping trip at the Fresh and Easy Neighborhood Market. That's exit 75 on the I-10. But if she's traveling on the I-40, no exit 75 there. So keep looking, Tori. Go to I-80 and get off on Mace Boulevard at exit 75, California road e6 you'll find your true love there in davis I'm still alive 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 well what's your favorite lyrical moment You say he's the biggest thing there'll be this year. I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. Especially following our conversation, I love this kind of shift in maturity and looking back on Mm -hmm. the things that you used to be attracted to or the things that you used to Mm -hmm. think that you needed and realize that they're not fulfilling to you in any way anymore. Especially when you equate breakups or former relationships with such pain and then you look back at them and think, oh, that served its purpose, but I was so needing to move on from that and so ready to move on from not just that one person but from like maybe playing out that pattern again and again i think you're so spot on with that i guess that what i'm seeking 
is a it's discovery. Like she's discovering that in that moment. I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. Like mm-hmm. that is what you what you say when you discovered it, mm-hmm. and that's like the moment where she realizes like it's not what I want anymore. Oh, you're so right. I'm a first verse girl my whole life. Maybe I'll get to the second verse. Oh, <laughs> my favorite moment is still I have to learn to let you crash down because I feel like not only do you have to learn to let yourself crash down, but I feel like you have to learn to let these men crash down. You hold them on a pedestal. You hold them in such high regard. You fantasize or you almost sanctify them. You know, when you forget the bad things that happened in the relationship, you kind of like erase that. And so everything becomes sort of like a Vaseline on a lens. It it becomes kind of beautiful in memory and romantic in your memory but you have to learn to let that crash down and yeah and maybe there was some codependency happening there like the you know the narrator of the song was attracted to damaged wounded people who Mm -hmm. she felt she could save or rescue or whatever and i'm actually getting this weird transmission from my past and my original interpretation of that line when you hold someone up in the moment, like this is, remember this is, I was 18. I was like super young. So we were all very young and I was like, you know, we were hot and we were wild and we were going through our wild years when this song came out. So I have to learn to let you crash down. It became about the guys that I was hanging out with and holding them up and thinking they were perfect because I was so thick in it. So thick in it when I was younger. (laughs) So yeah. I love how wise we all think we are at 18 and how worldly Yeah, we've become very wise. Hi, Michael. Hi, Efren. How are you? I'm well. Have you noticed that whenever we get into it, we always get our sexy voices on? We do. What is it about Hotel that makes it the greatest song ever written? (laughs) Okay. It's many structural surprises. Which of the many astounding lyrical moments in this song is the biggest standout for you? For me, it's... I guess that what I'm seeking isn't here. It's like, it's a real shock, which hovers in the air. But I also want to shout out King Solomon's Minds. They're the reference to it. I think uh, it's very clever and complex. How so? Well, like the book is an adventure story about uncovering a so-called lost world. I assume you're going to dive all into this in the episode. But like, I think here in this context, it speaks to the way that we self-mythologize our lives. Like, particularly our romances and our romantic histories. But there's also a dark side of that, too, that, like, the colonialist tinge, you know, the, the invasion. Of everywhere in the world, where is the perfect place to listen to Hotel? I'm in a skydiving plane as it's ascending, and I have to jump right on cue of where are the velvets. Describe the song Hotel in three contemporary actresses. <sighs> Hotel is Rachel Weisz. Is that's the one I feel most strongly about. <laughs> Hotel is, I guess, to kind of keep it in that same, like, white Jewish woman camp, Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, I'm also getting flashes sort of in, in certain appearances I want, a kind of, like, Vivica A. Fox oh. here in Hotel as well. Would you feel differently about the song if it was called Motel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the Weird Al version, isn't it? What does Give Me More mean to you? I'm open to other readings, but for me, it's lust. It's like a voicing. And in the soprano, which is notable, I think, like the voicing of craving, impulse, but also abandon. Give Me More, I think, is distinct from I have to learn to let you crash. There's like a pivot between those two thoughts, and I think the former is lust. If you were going to meet all your exes in one room, where would you like that to be? 
Okay, I want it to be my childhood bedroom, actually, which of course no longer exists, but... It gives you the advantage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were you wild? And if so, where are you now? I was, yes. And weren't you and weren't, weren't we all? I mean, now I'm sexless, but I'm in the best shape of my life. You know, I'm still alive. Did you hear I had to break up with my boyfriend, the bellhop? No, tell me. Oh, he had too much baggage. Oh, I bet. <laughs> That's a bummer. But he had nice arms, though. <laughs> but he did have nice arms, yes. He was very built. <laughs> Which would you prefer, a Red Roof Inn or a Spring Hill Suites? I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. (laughs) Say something right now to one of your exes that you've never been able to say to them in person. Happy for you, but I am sure that I hate you. (laughs) Wrong album, sorry. (laughs) You could follow Michael on Instagram if he had one. Sorry, people. Twitter, at Michael Carley. There you go. Twitter, at Michael Carley. There's that melody we know. So there's no piano on the album during this part of the song, right? This is on the keyboard and he is playing it on piano? I think you're right. Does this bear any resemblance to how she played it live, solo, when you asked for it? No, because she played that opening part on the organ and it was very slowed down. urgency of this. It's a little bit like carbon. is really so beautiful and as per usual a lot of times that doesn't necessarily shine on the album and it takes these yanta versions to really highlight how gorgeous some of her melodies are can picture this live especially on plugs so can i two fingers two fingers yes it's like she was typing like a cartoon cat typing really fast
Imagine this arranged for the quartet. Oh, missed opportunity. Yeah. This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you think that section was what originally was in the middle of Jackie that she pulled Maybe. apart? Maybe. feels like the single engine Cessna is spiraling downwards. Oh shit, we've lost control. Yeah, I'm getting some shattering sea from this too. I love that final honk. <laughs> and on the album, it really is a honk. So playful. It really is a honk. Yeah. No, I love it as well. I remember a forum post or a news group post from back in the day, someone writing that that coda on the album sounded like the score from a PBS special about a sad king. And now that's all I can think <laughs> of. Or I kind of think of a puppet too, like the little king puppet from Mr. Rogers. Like burpy derpy uh -huh. herp derp. Propel, propel, propel your craft. Gently down liquid solution. Ecstatically, 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 existence is but an illusion. I loved that puppet. <laughs> um, what was your favorite musical moment? It is without question, I have to learn to let you crash down. Yeah. Yeah, that melody there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. I also really like live. I really like the ding a 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 ding that part. Is that the two finger ding a ding? Yeah. I love it because she's showboating. I mean she's not. She didn't write it to showboat, but it's when she's doing it live, she is 
making she's pointing out that it is so simple she's bending over yeah she's bending yeah. over she's looking right at the keys yes <laughs> you know maybe it is too simple for her to like it's like when she screwed up um mr zebra three times she's like oh oh wait how like shocked she is by yes. her behavior <laughs> maybe she's afraid to mess something that simple up and because it is so simple no i think it's just what up. you're saying it's just become like a showboat moment kind of like there's no reason for her to play icicle with one hand crossed over the other but she does it every time you never there could be a reason that you I don't, don't know. think there is you don't know <laughs> imagine if she played the opening of leather with two hands like that really fast like bing 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 ding 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 <laughs> Well, Yanta did an incredible job. That wasn't entirely on piano as Tori miswrote it. Obviously, there's the Kurtzweil involved and some Trani sounds and some weird keyboard stuff and piano. But he did a piano arrangement. And you can support him if you go to patreon.com slash Yanta. You can go support him and you should. He deserves it. Listen to what we just listened to. It was so good. So good. So now going back to Tori's version of this song, <laughs> even though Yant is amazing, what is your favorite musical moment in Tori's song? And I'll go first if it makes you feel better. It does always. Okay. I love the synth sounds all the way through. Just that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that all the way through. There's the little harpsichord in there. And I'm not entirely sure if that's, does she credit the harpsichord? I she doesn't, right? I don't think so. Are we sure there's harpsichord? No. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it sounds a little like a synth harpsichord, mm. which at that point might be just easier to, than getting the harpsichord up and running. What are your favorite musical moments? You know what? Listening to you talk about the synths, I agree. And at this point, especially, that was a new sound for her. And there's something about them that say, I hesitate to use this word, but it's accurate to me. They sound wet. Yeah. That's a wet synth. But... I would say that my favorite musical moment is I have to learn to let you crash with mm. like the kind of tripping marching bandy drum beat that comes in and the synth sound there too. It really mm -hmm. is kind of an abrupt left turn in the song and it sounds almost like carnivaly to me. Yeah. For lack yes. of a better word, but I really love that. Like a calliope almost? Kind of. I mean, I have to say that my favorite musical moments in the song, the fact that it changes tempo so abruptly and you kind of never know where it's going to go and it's so clean. It's like crash new tempo you know it's just mm. it's very pleasing to me and mm -hmm. it gets my heart going then it like smooths it over and then it soothes it even to the very end even to king solomon's minds exit 75 and how she's almost she's not whispering it but because there's so little under her it feels very intimate you mm -hmm. know it feels especially when she's saying exit 75 i'm still alive that freedom comes across because it's so intimate mm -hmm. um that validation of her own life or that celebration of her own life mm -hmm. Can we talk about the vocals a little bit? Not only on the yeah. song, but really kind of Choir Girl as a whole. Even when the vocals aren't processed, they still sound a little more raw than Pele, for example. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? And not like the quality of her singing, but just the way it's recorded. It yeah. seems like there was in an intentional effort put into making it sound not as polished. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's so interesting, especially considering this is the first time, really, that she was recording in a proper studio that yeah. they had built to their own standards. And then what came out of it was something that sounded intentionally not kind of factory made. 
And I think the reason is because in the church for Pele, in the moment, I'm assuming, and watching the EPK where she's, you know, doing her own background vocals, it's such a clean sound in there. Yes. You know, that that is what she's trying to present, this like beautiful, angelic, I mean, she's in a church. And so it's activating that choir leader. It's something interesting because it's not processed necessarily on Pele, but it sounds so clean. Yeah, not only that, but the quality of the recording, to my ear anyway, sounds a little lo-fi mm-hmm. by design. And the like vocals? there's, yeah, and like there's almost noise or tape hiss. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that. And let's talk about vocal performance in this song. What's your favorite vocal moment? And I'll go first if that makes you feel better. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I choose the entirety of the song. Oh. But if I, yeah, but if I had to narrow it down, I would choose Can't You Just. That seems to me like it didn't, it's not in the lyric booklet because it came out of just the moment probably. And that to me is the most real part of the song because Give Me More is like her obviously looking, searching for more, yearning for more, being desperate for more. But this moment, can't you just, it just is like, can you, can we stop fucking around, please? Can you just give me more? You know, you know what I'm looking for? Oh, I just got in it. Ooh, Ooh. I was there. I transported myself to the hotel. (laughs) Can I take your bags? Yeah. (laughs) I would have to go with a couple. I'll go with Give Me More, too, because maybe that's the last moment on record where she reached such literal heights. And I think maybe her voice was at its peak. Did she, she didn't even really sing that way on Pele. Maybe the Inanna backing vocals, which, of course, aren't as prominent. Oh my god, it's been so long since I've heard you do it. I missed it. I didn't even realize. (laughs) My hand was in my hair. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll go with that. And also the final, I have to learn. I just love the way Mm -hmm. that she sort of twists the melody a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just, I have to learn. It's have to learn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's very, very pleasing to me. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) My hand was in your hair when I did it. So also, uh, something I didn't talk about, musical moment. We talked about it a little earlier, but just here in this section. Where are the velvets? Ding, 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 ding. That moment of just abandon as she's like hitting those notes. And obviously, if we're going to talk more musical moments, ding, 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 You know that two-finger thing we talked about? Yes. I love that. And you know what else I like? I like the piano and everything in the song. I like also the drums. Like the drums carry, and you know the guitar is pleasing to me. And also the loops that they've made. The loops are really good. I feel like this is your fourth grade book report on Hotel, and I absolutely love it. Gold star. This is my favorite part of the song. My favorite part of this song is the song and also the vocals and the piano and the ding, 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 ding. I love the beginning and also the middle, but my favorite part is the end. Mm-hmm. It was a very good song. <laughs> I once wrote a book report about Mount Rushmore, but I didn't read the book. And so my report said that Mount Rushmore was made out of petrified rock because <laughs> someone had told me that. And that she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, where did you read that? And I said, it was in the book. She knew I was lying, but thankfully, she didn't expose me. I like that you were both going to like see who's going to blink first. We did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, I'm also going to take a controversial stance. I think this mount needs to rush less. I just want everybody to know here that the hotel, the Choir Girl Hotel that we've been discussing ever since the primer, we visited it during the primer. And that hotel is made of petrified rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked by that rock. A conversation posted to the Tory Forum at Pro Boards, May 5th, 2003. 
someone please do me a big favor and explain to me what a lollipop Gestapo is? LOL! Hi, Pink Disaster here. The Gestapo has been the secret police of Adolf Hitler. Kojak might have been in the lollipop Gestapo. Ha ha ha! Fearscape here. Hi. Pink Disaster said this already, but yes, the Gestapo was the secret police organization in Nazi Germany and were responsible for rounding up Jews throughout Europe and taking them to the camps. In the context of the song, though, I think Lollipop Gestapo is a great phrase that signifies the greatness of loving someone contrasted with the pain of losing someone. Hence, the happier term Lollipop and the morbid term Gestapo. Does that make any sense? It makes sense to me! Good, good. Mission accomplished. Sounds to me like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. No lollipop for you. I used to think it was a reference to the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz, but that's a lollipop kill, not the Gestapo. Ops. I just love the way she sings lollipop Gestapo. And yeah, I agree with Fearscape. But my mind is so twisted that I also had this mixed up image of a Hitler policeman who is very short and sings rhymes in a high-pitched voice and dances around, much like a member of the Lollipop Guild would. Is that weird? Uh, yes. This is an 8-bit cover of Hotel by Daryl Banner. We'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamos.com. On the line, we have Catherine McManus. She's a photographer and artist out of Cleveland, Ohio, whom I met on tour, who is a lovely person and an amazing artist. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Ephraim. Good to talk to you. So good to talk to you. Do you feel like we're kindred spirits because we adore the same song? I think we are, yeah, in a lot of ways. And then in a lot of the things we've talked about over text over the years, too. I feel like we know each other in some like cosmic yeah. level. No one gets us. No one gets us the way we get each other. No one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited 
excited to hear all about your Tori story because I don't know anything about it. So tell me everything, how you discovered Tori. Like, let's start okay. at the beginning. Okay. So the very beginning, I was in high school, sophomore year, maybe junior year, late 90s. And, you know, what I do when I normally come home from school is go to the music channels and MTV, VH1. We had much music back then, which was awesome. I later found out it was the MTV Unplugged, like a rerun of it, probably six months or a year later. Mm -hmm. So I stop in my tracks because there's this fiery woman <laughs> with red hair bashing on a, a harpsichord. Mm. And at the time, I was really into harpsichord music. My dad had gotten me a Christmas CD with all instrumental harpsichord oh, wow. traditional songs. And I loved it. It was beautiful. I was really into like medieval music music and uh, the Renaissance stuff too, amongst other things. But I was really branching out with the freedom to watch all the music channels after school. And so, yeah, I come across uh, MTV Unplugged. She's probably playing Blood Roses, I want to mm. say, because it was all harpsichord. I was just fascinated and I had no idea who she was, what her name was or anything. And then that sort of just dropped off my radar and went about my life listening to other stuff. It must have been spring 98 or summer after Choir Girl came out and I heard Spark on the radio and I'm like, oh, what is this? I love these sounds. I love the emotion behind it, the angst, the longing. And I asked my friend Maria and she said, oh, my mom has that CD. Why don't I oh. you know, let you borrow it? So I borrow it and I didn't even really get into the whole album because in the morning when I'd be getting ready for school, I'd put it on and I'd get through Spark and I wouldn't quite get to, I think I got up to maybe... Jackie strength or something. So I know I did eventually listen to the whole thing all the way through because I got to um, Liquid Diamonds and that totally chilled me out and made getting ready for school and all of the stress of high school a little easier. But I wasn't a fully fledged Tory file until, well, I like to say that she's weaved her way in and out of my life when I needed her most. Oh. Yeah, then years went by and there was really nothing. I didn't really get into the whole universe on the web. Nothing really Tory related until I lived in Seattle for a year with my first husband and we'd just been married earlier in 2008 and then instantly moved to the West Coast and I was in heaven. We loved it there. We wanted to spend the rest of our lives there. But then, um, unfortunately, my husband was experiencing some really bad leg pain, and it ended up pretty traumatically manifesting as a broken femur and a very rare bone cancer. So it was a really tough time, really tough year. That was 2009. And we decided after about a week in the hospital in Seattle, who had a really good care team for um, orthopedic cancers, but we decided to move back to Cleveland because we've got the Cleveland Clinic, we've got University Hospitals, we've got some of the best medical care in the country and probably the world. And our families were here. So we had like a short little year in Seattle where we were free and young and happy. And then, you know, we had to move back. But we landed in a safe space. My parents had moved to the country nearby outskirts of Cleveland. So we moved into the home I grew up in and we had it all to ourselves, except my brother and sister kind of coming and going to college. And we called it the real world house. So <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun, even though it was a really dark and difficult time. So at the time, you know, I'm a Napster baby. I'm a LimeWire baby. <laughs> so I had all these downloads from the late 90s, early 2000s of Tory stuff. And I rediscovered all of that stuff and really just started listening to um, Spark again and uh, all of all of the ones that really hit home for me, Black Dove, Cruel. I needed that angst. I needed that anger, that 
grief to go to the dark place because I was in a dark place and it kind of helped me make sense of what was going on a little more. And that was the year Abnormally Attracted to Sin was coming out. So I discovered her on Facebook and I was there. That was like the first album I was really aware of at the time of its release. So I bought it and I just listened to that constantly on our drives to and from the hospital because we had to go quite a bit. It was like weekly, sometimes daily uh, for radiation treatments. And then the chemotherapy was very grueling nine months of week in the hospital, week out, week in the hospital, week out. So I'd be going back and forth to visit him or stay with him overnight or do shifts with his family. And I would have hotel. That's when it really hit me, hotel was the cathartic emotion of it that I needed to have a release of all of this so much anxiety and stress. And we were only 27 at the time. So it was really, our late 20s were being stolen from us. And for Ben, my husband, it was just like devastating because he was a strong, smart, loved people, loved animals, but very, very humble, very stoic, kind of a quiet person. And Watching him was really inspiring, but he struggled. And then for some reason, like I said, Hotel came back into my life. And it was Hotel and Sarah McLaughlin's Fear. Those two songs, I would just play on repeat nonstop, one then the other, one then the other. And I'm sure I tried to do it not as much when anyone was in the car with me, but it would always be windows down, volume up just letting it out everything you know all the emotion and the catharsis of those songs and they're they're very very emotional very deep and they just kind of spoke to me so i think that's that's up to the point i really became a tory file because then after he sadly only like less than two years that we did all these treatments and it just didn't work and he was in remission for about two months and then he um relapsed and he was back in the hospital for treatments and it was awful it was like around this time of year 10 years ago that we were going through that and he held on until uh, the next February and in all that time it was just hotel fear hotel fear (laughs) obviously the mantra for me in hotel was I'm still alive I'm still alive I'm still alive and I love how she repeats that five times at the end because it's like she's planting that in the ground it's her grounding it's her roots so that she's reminded of her life force. And that helped me too. And same with fear. I fear I have nothing left to give. And I just felt like I wasn't doing enough for Ben in his dire moments. You know, it was it was really hard to be a partner of someone going through that and a caretaker. He passed away, sadly, February 2011. And then I just went on this musical journey he left his cds behind and he was really into metal new metal we went to a lot of concerts in the early 2000s together that i wasn't quite ready for but now (laughs) i I listen to that stuff because it's just good nostalgia for me and it reminds me of him i just got into angry music and that's i think how tori her earlier stuff weaved its way back in almost exclusively for a while just so helpful. I, I went back into Little Earthquakes, Under the Pink, and then Boys for Pele. Wow, that was a helpful one. And of course, Choir Girl. And yeah. Well, first, I want to say thank you for telling us that story and sharing that with us. Oh, no, I'm happy to. Having a piece of music that you that you relate to and that helps you make it through something so traumatic, what is your relationship to it once, you, like you said, it's been almost 10 years Uh, What's Mm -hmm. your relationship to that mantra now? Is it something that you always go back to that time? Or is it something Mm -hmm. that you use as a mantra every day in different ways through other experiences? 
Oh, good question. Yeah, I, it's evolved for me. I'm definitely out of that initial fight or flight trauma. Uh, I do have post-traumatic stress disorder from what we went through because it was a pretty harrowing discovery of the cancer when his bone broke. It was pretty scary. But I think I'm still healing from that, but I'm healing from a lot of other things, too. I've Personally, I was going through the loss, the impending loss of my first husband, and the line, you were wild, where are you now? That felt like she was talking to me, like you were full of energy, creative energy living in Seattle, and you had this great thing going with your art and you're building your career. It was a wild, wonderful time. But where is all that now? It's gone. You're struggling with a sick husband and you're so worried about him and you're devastated. You're grieving, really. When you get a diagnosis, that's like the first stage of grief because your whole life changes Mm -hmm. from that point. And... um, you were wild. Where are you now? And then she goes into give me more, give me more. And it's so, you want more. You don't want this. You don't want this yeah. devastation. You don't want this loss. You're looking for more than what you had before. Cause we were really at the beginning of our lives. We were so young. Mm-hmm. We were ready to embark on this wonderful journey together as a married couple. And for Tori, I think it's about these past relationships not working out, but being close to her heart still, or somehow impacting her in a way that really brought meaning to her life. And she was still looking for more, though. She, you know, maybe had wanted more from some of those people, and she couldn't get that. So that's what... It takes me sort of back to Kate Bush, uh, a deal with God. Like, if I only could, I'd make a deal with God and get him to swap our places. And that emotion, Mm -hmm. like, times a thousand and give me more. Like, you're doing anything to wrestle Mm -hmm. with, negotiate with whoever. Because, you like, when you're talking about it from the perspective of loss and grief, that it's like, I want more. I need more from this person or this situation or or your early life, Mm -hmm. you know, or what you expected to have. That's a very powerful thought to me. Because that song helped me also kind of get through the struggles of of chemo. Yeah, I discovered Kate Bush officially in those years. And Jig of Life was really my, Mm. hello, old lady. I know your face well. I felt so old and I was only 27. I'm like, who am I anymore? (laughs) This is crazy. So, um, yeah, I, I like that. I think she is speaking to herself. But then there was another part of me that's thinking maybe she's speaking to an ex or someone that she really wanted more from who lost their spark, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, but for her, she lost her spark with the losses, the miscarriages. So that I, I do. Maybe it is about her. Well, and I yeah, mean, you're right. It, it, it reaches we, out to you. As we well. talk, too, about, like, it's definitely about someone else. But, like, I, it could, I mean, obviously it's both. It's everything and anything, you know, but I yeah, feel... Yeah, and that's yeah. a Tory song. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite musical moment in this song? Oh, musical moment. Um... There's a few. It's very hard to choose, but um, the music build up. Now that I have Yanta's version, I know uh, the piano is just beautiful in that. Mm. It's gorgeous. I love the cascading pianos in Where Are the Velvets. That mm. to me, ooh, beautiful. Yeah. And I even love the the little French horn sounding synthy thing <laughs> at the end when she's <laughs> when she's <laughs> done <laughs> with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I even like that. For a while, I thought it was a real French horn or something. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize she was all keyboard. 
<laughs> well, Catherine, thank you for sharing your time and your stories with us and your life with us. You can find Catherine online on Instagram at Catherine's Photographs, and that's Catherine with a C, Catherine's Photographs. And you can also visit her website, CatherineMcManus.com. She's an artist. She's a photographer. She's a lovely human being. And of course, we'll link to all of her pages in our show notes, songsofterrymus.com. Catherine, I'm so glad we had this time together. Me too. Thank you so much. I was waiting for this episode to come on the show, so I I really appreciate it. No, I'm so glad to get to know you a little bit better. And I feel like since you hold this song so deeply and it's so personal to you, you are so personal to me. And I feel like we're just intertwined. Our lives yes. forevermore are intertwined, Catherine. Forevermore. <laughs> All right. We'll talk again, Catherine. Okay. okay. So good talking with you. Bye. Bye. Hello, lady. Dark hair, and look, he looks, uh, has kind of a dumb look on his face. Um, I actually wouldn't know because they did just start at three, so I don't know if he maybe was here earlier. Is he, um, does he have, does he have a reservation, or you're just not sure? Well, he was wild, but I don't know where he is now, and he's missing. I don't know. I think I know for sure. I, I'm willing to bet he's there. The what? Sorry. Is, is he, did you see him with a red-headed woman? Um, I haven't seen anybody um, with red hair at all, actually. A blonde-haired woman? Mm, no. 
A blonde-haired woman. Sorry. Huh? What did you say your son's name was? Sorry. My husband's name is Carl. Yeah, sorry. Carl? Yeah. Um, my son's uh, name is my son's name is Carl too. He's Carl Jr. Oh uh, no, I actually don't have any Carls here at all. Okay, thank you, honey. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye. We've made it to the live section, David. Hey, still alive. Are you still for alive? alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still alive. Derpy, derpy, derp, derp, live section time. This song has a very interesting live history and very meaningful to me in certain ways. So there are 129 performances of Hotel, and guess how many surviving recordings there are? How many, and how many have gone missing? Just take a wild guess, David. 110. Oh my god, it's as if someone told you beforehand. Nailed it. I love how you're able to guess so perfectly all the time. I love that about me too. <laughs> it's as if it's in a document somewhere. Mm. Yes, there are 110 surviving bootleg performances, which is a surprisingly high number, I think. And all of them are on my Google Drive, if anybody wants a link. And all of them have been listened to by yours truly. Mm -hmm. I was wondering why I haven't heard from you for several weeks. Yeah, every single hotel, every single one. And let me tell you, I'll do that often. Depending on the song, if there's like a hundred or less, I will listen to all of them as I'm putting together the episode. But normally I'll listen to them and they like, I'll kind of just like have it on as background noise. And if something weird happens, then I'll suddenly spring alive. But I was completely actively engaged through all 110. And give me more. I'm telling you. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that you can be that focused to pick up on every nuance. Are you sure? Are you sure you don't need to listen to all 110 again? You know what? I'll do it again. I'll try it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I'm, I will. You're welcome. I love how you're always encouraging me to be better. I just want you to be your best. Yeah. Thank you. So we'll play a bunch here in this section, obviously. So as we said earlier, the very first time she ever played this was September 19th, 1998 in San Jose, California at the San Jose Events Center. For me, my birthday belated. It was your birthday, but it felt like mine. <laughs> it felt like everyone's birthday. She, You're welcome, world. She came out in a cat suit. Yep. And not like a tight bodysuit, like an actual cat suit. She was dressed. The woman was dressed like a cat. Leopard costume. Yes. Yeah. On the 1998 tour, she played it 44 times. And here's that first time in San Jose. How can it have been the last song to be introduced 
not until September 19th when the tour started in like May or April, technically. The last song to be introduced, and still she managed to play it 44 times between September and December. Isn't that like half the tour? <laughs> she played it basically like, every <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah. I think she did play it every single night. And they had work, they had spent so much time working it up that like, okay, we're playing this every night. And it obviously is a crowd pleaser. I would like to know why something that has a band arrangement to begin with that they recorded together is so difficult to replicate live and why it was so hard for them to get it right. But I do know that they worked on it for a long time, like you said. I can answer that if you'd like. No, I prefer to just let my questions go into the abyss unanswered. Okay, well, I have to learn to let my questions crash down. (laughs) The reason is because she talks about that they tracked it live. They tracked it, her and Matt, with Marcel and Andy Gray and Mark, right? And then she talks about how there were loops. They were using their own loops. So I believe a huge part of the way the production is on the album is constructed, is a lot of tired Andy Gray. He's referred to as tired because he worked tirelessly i'm sure on this to construct the loops properly so that it's not just them playing it and they had to figure out a way to get it to sound good live right to to sound right live so i'm sure that live it's got a lot to do with the front of house playing tape as well hitting the tape at the right time there's a lot going on that's my thought all right that makes sense i think you're right i would love to get our hands on like the raw recordings where it's maybe just her and matt for all the yeah, production was added and fleshed out yeah give us the tapes give us more give us more don't let us crash without the tapes this is the first time i ever heard it live this was september 29th in albuquerque This performance is from October 3rd, 1998. Get a load of this intro, David. Next performance is from October 7th, 1998 in Memphis. 
What do you think that feedback was? At first I thought it was Caitlin's guitar, but then I'm pretty sure she says fire alarm. Um, and then she said, it's driving me insane. It might've been Robert De Niro and her monitors. I think Hotel is kind of cursed live. It's a very difficult no way. song. Don't, no, Listen, no, remember who you're talking to. You a dare. curse isn't always bad. I love a curse. Oh, that's a good point. I love a cursed object. <laughs> I love a cursed song. <laughs> but it's very difficult. And if there's not, you know, something going on with the beat or something musically that's difficult for them, there's a technical failure of some kind. Kind of a lot. That's all I'm Sometimes, saying. Sometimes, yeah. You'll see as the, I mean, maybe I won't play them all, but as time goes on through 2009, like she has this control. She has like this mastery of the song throughout her career and then in like 2007 on legs and boots there's two significant goofs or you know like fine she some things fuck up sometimes right but then in 2009 like matt has to start adding beats in the second verse just to keep her on track but that's what he's there for they're there for each other you know they have each other's back that's beautiful i'm sure she's added extra beats for him i imagine when i hear this song live i imagine the song is falcor from the Neverending story and tori is writing falcor and once in a while falcor just <laughs> gets out of control and does what he's gonna do i've never seen it you've never seen the Neverending story no what's wrong with you no i don't have that kind of time yes, it doesn't you do. it never ends <laughs> i have 110 versions of hotel to listen to you know what we're gonna gonna do next time we get together we're gonna watch the never-ending story and play monopoly were you on tour still when she did this strange acapella intro to hotel when was that new orleans louisiana on october 10th 1998 she never did before or since those moments where you know roll the dice one night you're gonna get an acapella intro to hotel what i know i loved it i thought it was so beautiful and it's to me after having explored it with you in the line by line it's no coincidence that it popped out in nolan oh my god of course bell of new orleans mm-hmm. gotta explain a little bit here okay so she performed it 11 times in the five and a half weeks tour and the to dallas and back tour and here is her performance on pay-per-view on September 24th, 1999 in Vegas.
She loves playing hotel in September. She does. She did not play it in the 2001 tour at all, but she did bring it back when the band came back on Scarlet's Walk. And it was there from the beginning. This is the performance I referenced earlier in Tampa on November 7th, 2002. And pay special attention to the new chill out vibe. It's played on the Wurlitzer. We'll talk about it after. That's an interesting choice for me. For Hotel to be a song out of the gate on the Scarlet's Walk Tour, or for her to play it at all, frankly, it seems very much of its time and era, and the Scarlet's Walk Tour was more about kind of acoustic-y, warm, 70s singer-songwriting. So between revisiting the subject matter and that really not to me anyway, being consistent with the sound at the time, I think it's interesting that she chose to play it that often. Yeah, here's what I'm going to say about that. You are so right. Thematically, it is not at all what Scarlet's Walk was about. And also, like, it is a little bit heavier than what the Scarlet's Walk sound was, the on Scarlet's Walk sound, the jazz trio vibe, right? As it appears on the album, it may not be what she's going for, but she modified it with the Wurlitzer to kind of give it that sort of lounge, that jazz trio vibe to better fit, I think, with the arrangements of the other songs. Now, let's talk thematically. You're right. I don't think thematically it fit in. However... Let me take you back. She's walking through America, talking about 9-11. She plays Hotel and then plays I Can't See New York into Spring Haze. Single engine Cessna billowing out to somewhere. So it was those, it was that one, two, three punch that ended the show. So I think that's what got that song played in the beginning, even if it were against theme, maybe a little. But that's why it was originally on the set list. And then it was it's such a crowd pleaser and it's such a great way to pick up a show right at the end Mm -hmm. that it just stuck around. Yeah, I think it then changed meaning a little. bit. Yes, I think you're right. I was going to say this is one of those moments where Tori sort of changes her position on a song or the meaning Mm -hmm. of it changes conveniently. Conveniently. Exactly. She played it 24 times on Scarlet's Walk and nine times on the separate, entirely different tour, 2003's Lot of Pianos. Funny how the arrangement sounded exactly the same on two entirely separate tours. I know, it was weird. Mm. I mean, she just found something that worked, and then when she started another tour, a different tour, then she was like, well, it worked on the last tour that we did, so let's do it this way on this new tour. Yeah, it's almost as if those two tours were the same. Two different tours same songs she plays the same songs a lot of different tours david i don't you know, know why what? you can't accept that a ben folds does not a tour make hey he was on top of that piano playing with his feet he was playing upside down on his head if i recall correctly <laughs> you never watched a single ben fold set did you i actually did at the finger lakes or in like when i was in ithaca uh-huh. i sat on that goddamn lawn and i watched So now we're going to play a little selection of some of the best hotel moments from On Scarlet's Walk. This is the second show of the tour. This is November 9th, 2002 in Melbourne. And I just want you to hear this really clear example of how she rearranged the intro to include the Wurlitzer and to give it that really chilled out jazz trio vibe.
After playing Hotel more than 60-ish times in her career, suddenly at the beginning of the second leg of Scarlet's Walk, she is unable to comprehend that she has a missing beat in the second verse and begins to sort of uh, play around with that tempo. So uh, play around, quote unquote. This is London, England, January 17th, 2003. That is the first time she has anything but complete mastery over this song, but not the last time, and we'll explore more of those in 2007. But for now, this is Nashville. And I want to play this small little moment where this woman in the audience, this woman just can't take it. She needs Tori to get to the end of the song now. February 23rd, 2003. You know, I understand that in when you know a hot moment of the song is coming and you want it, you want it now, I get it. I get it. This is March 11th, 2003 in Toledo, Ohio. A little bit of a unique intro. In 2005, Summer of Sin, she performed it one time, and we are going to play that in its entirety, and I'm sorry if you don't like that, but it's going to happen. So <laughs> this is from Upside Down Fanzine, issue 6, 1995 first. How? How do you have the objectivity to change a song once it's written? You call your songs babies. Isn't that like you calling a baby aesthetically challenged? No. You just take the baby in, give it a facelift, do you a Farrah Fawcett? Why not? There are two levels of writing, when you speak truth and when you say something that is very moving. But there are many ways to tell a story. Why do you think there were storytellers in a tribe? There is a reason for that. They are good at it. They have kept developing the skills for hundreds of years. I think that if you are willing to let it not work out until you feel that you said what you wanted to say, that is the first step of objectivity. Because you're not afraid of not having it right. Do you remember that line in Educating Rita? 
assonance. It's getting the rhyme wrong. You have to be okay that you are going to get it wrong, but I kind of live in assonance. So my whole work is getting rhymes wrong. It works. So it's a real lovable place to be in because you know that you're putting a thought out there that means something to you and that you're crossing it out. It means something to you. It brings back a memory. You feel something and yet you are crossing it out because you know, sometimes you may go, that's a cop out or it's just not really what I'm trying to say here or you really do want that tuck and suck. Come on, let's face it. She means rhyme, tuck and suck how they rhyme. That's what she means. Or you really want that rhyme, that tuck and suck. Come on, let's face it. There's this line that I wrote for something that you will never hear because the line was crossed out. And the line was, nothing is all you ever wanted. Well, we fucking know that. We all know that. Duh. That's so boring, even though it's true, right? So this is true. Nothing is all you ever wanted. It just doesn't say anything. We know that. Who gives a shit? Sometimes just because it's a true statement doesn't mean anybody cares. So that's where the skill of storytelling comes in. And scene. Present day Tori could learn a lot from past Tori. I think the reason Shay put this in the document here is because Tori drastically changed Hotel on the 2005 tour. Yeah. Because someone kept hounding her, hounding and bothering and bugging her, or as she would tell me, reminding me. Mm. <laughs> and as we all learn, sometimes it's okay to give a baby a facelift. Uh, have you? Do you remember that tan baby? The mom who would take her baby tanning? Yes, tan mom? of course. Yeah. So let me tell you how I got Hotel, if I may. It was the very first meet and greet on the Summer of Sin, Dublin, Ireland. The meet and greet in Dublin, Ireland. And I was so excited and I got, I was so nervous to talk to her and I asked for hotel and I went into this like five minute spiel about what the song meant to me and told her some really personal stuff. And she's like, oh, okay. And I have a video of our friend Dorothy Dotson in the pub after the meet and greet when we went to go have dinner or, you know, like before the show. And I told her my story about how uh, I had asked for hotel. And she said, it'll be like 10 minutes long. And I'm like, come on, like, it'll be amazing. And me trying to pump up door for her playing hotel that night, which she obviously didn't do. Then I asked her at the next meet and greet, which was like Manchester. And it was just very brief in passing. And then we got stateside and I did the whole Summer of Sin tour. And I asked her in Atlanta, do you remember Atlanta? Were you there in Atlanta? No. I asked her in Atlanta and I asked her in Saratoga Springs. And in Saratoga Springs, she finally said, oh, honey, that's a West Coast song. I'll play it when, when I get to the West. <laughs> so I've always thought that, you know, I've always, that song's associated with West Coast to me. You know, Exit 75. That's when I was like, okay, I'll leave her alone. Then we got to Houston and I asked her for it in Houston and I storyboarded it out. I, we had all day at the meet and greet. So I was like, you know, I was going to directing school. I was going to grad school for directing. So I storyboarded it out. There's a picture of me on my ex Facebook that I had just the storyboard where it's like in one frame, she's at the piano. The next frame she's turned and she's at the keyboard. The next frame she's at the piano. Then she's back at the keyboard. And then she's like going wild at the piano. And then she ends on the keyboard. So it's a beautiful storyboard. If I do say so myself, it I is. gave it to her. She, Thank you. I've seen it. <laughs> I gave it to her. She loved it. Didn't play the damn song. Then I asked her for it in San Diego 
And Barry, at the time, this girl who toured with us, she was asking for Juarez, and she was trying very hard to get it. And it became this kind of like, oh, God. As the tour was nearing its end, I was like, she cannot work up both of these songs. You know, they're both like huge band songs that need to be re- completely rearranged. Well, but she'd done Juarez solo at that point. I know. And that's why, as we were nearing the end of the tour, I'm like, fuck, Barry's asking for Juarez, and that, and she's going to spend a little bit of time to do that instead of spending a lot of time to do my song. And that's That's why it was a war. Anyway, the last meet and greet that I was going to do was in San Diego, which was like three shows to the end or something like that. And I remember having my one, two, three punch. I was like, okay. So I talked to her when she got to me. I said, would you play hotel? And I know I've been asking for this since Dublin. I wanted to make sure she remembered how long I'd been on tour. Check. And I don't mean to ask (laughs) you to play your most difficult track, parentheses, challenge, but I think that we really need to hear it right now. Parentheses, topical. Boom. I got it the very next show in Phoenix. Thank you. Oh, Mic my drop. God. You know how to play Tori like a harp from hell. <laughs> when you want to get a request played, you know how to spin, 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 say all the right things, do all the right things. I worked on that for months. I worked on this for months, and it was amazing. And I think she says if in it at one point. Uh-huh. But that's neither here nor there. Do you hear it when she says if or are you mocking me? No, I, I don't know. I would have to listen to the whole thing, but not right now. Well, now we will. Here we go. Roll it, Oliver. <laughs>
most meaningful night of my life, comma, Tory related. <laughs> she played it again on the next tour, 2007's American Doll Posse. We're going to play a selection of Hotel's best moments from American Doll Posse. First, I want to play, this is not the debut of the song from this tour because that bootleg does not exist. This is the second time she played it on this tour. This is Brisbane on September 22nd, 2007. And the Wurlitzer's gone. It's no longer chilled out. Now she's doing this like synthy glockenspiel sort of thing, which is really, really cool. Plus, we have the return of a guitarist, Mr. Dan Phelps. Now, I'm not entirely sure that he realizes there is a piano player on stage with him because his guitar is a little extra. next two that we are going to play are from two consecutive nights in Chicago, November 5th, 2007, and November 6th, 2007. And for some reason, she cannot get the tempo change. She screws the pooch real big. And they're both on legs and boots. You can actually go to iTunes and purchase both of these, which I am shocked. Knowing her penchant for perfection, I am shocked. Calling herself an ant fucker, I am shocked that these actually showed up on the bootlegs.
verse. Take it from the second verse. second night. song i do love you? this song so much you do yes. oh ephraim loves hotel <laughs> i love it i love the time signature changes i love the power and the drums i love everything about it mm. there's nothing that i don't love about hotel except for when it's over one day i want someone to talk about me the way you talk about hotel mm. i want someone to look at me the way you look at that waveform <laughs> <laughs> she played it 18 times on the 2007 Doll Posse Tour. Let's play one of our favorite games. If it wasn't a Tory song, which doll would have gotten it? Clyde. Yeah, agreed. I love that there's yeah. always a right answer and we're both always like, mm-hmm, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Clyde track. <laughs> she played it 18 times on that tour and on the next tour, Sinful Attraction 2009, she played it 22 times. So what do you think about that? The band was back. Yes, they were. And this is August 1st, 2009 in Washington, D.C. I'm playing this because the ending is very dramatic. Possibly the most dramatic of all 110 surviving recordings. And I listen to them all. August 7th, 2009 in Indianapolis. that high note you want to hear the last time she played it david sure this is october 10th 2009 in warsaw
This was 11 years ago, almost to the day. Hotel, you were wild. Where are you now? Where are you now, hotel? So now that you've heard them all, David, which would you say is your preferred version? Do I have to eliminate any kind of personal bias? What does that mean? I feel like I have the fondest memories of the plugged version. I think it kind of hues closest to the album. And I was at Humble Brag, the very first performance of it ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the front. <laughs> and I feel like she was very... You were in the front row? Yeah, of course. And I feel like, well, you know, oh. it was a pit. Back then... Of course. <laughs> it, was, it was GA. So I feel like she was looking to us for approval and encouragement. Isn't she always? And by the way, I very much identify yeah. with that. But I feel like she was very mm-hmm. nervous about performing the song live and had been working on it for a long time. And it was kind of like a make it or break it moment. Here we go. And we were mm-hmm. all in the front giving mm-hmm. her like that knowing glance and getting real excited. Like, yeah, girl, you know, you can do it. Mm. Very special. And she did. She did. Just to prove I listened to all 110, David, isn't it interesting that in 2003, Tori returned to her roots by playing Hotel again in San Jose, this time with Matt adding an extra triplet at the measure before the start of the vocals? My goodness. Isn't that interesting? We all consider San Jose Tori's roots. So, <laughs> you know what else I've discovered just in my hotel journey that has nothing to do with hotel? Tell me. Tori performed in Nashville on November 12, 2007, and she performed in Nashville on November 12, 2017 on the Native Invader tour, exactly 10 years to the day. This is like the yeah. Da Vinci code. What do you think it means? That I'm Tom Hanks. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) not that anybody asked me, David, and it may surprise you to know, but my favorite version amongst all the versions from over the years was the 2002-2003 Wurlitzer version, because you know, I'm just a loungy kind of person. I'm just relaxed. I'm a relaxed kind of person. That's that's just, that's who I am. I'm relaxed. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think we'll ever hear it again? Nope. No? No, I don't. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I don't joke about hotel. I mean, you've told some jokes today it in was. this episode, so you kind of do joke <laughs> well, about hotel. Uh, I said I'd never tell jokes about hotel. I said I'd never get married. I don't know. It's a difficult song, period. It's a difficult song for her to play solo. It's very high. I don't see her sort of rearranging it. I just think we might have to let it go. I will get it again. Okay. Next tour. Mark his That's words, everybody. Mark my territory. <laughs> I'm going to pee on hotel. I knew you were going to say that. And she's going to say, if I don't play this song, this guy's going to pee on my head. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She does say that. Uh So anyway, in conclusion, Hotel is the greatest song ever written. And we will hear it again. Mm -hmm. In conclusion, this was Hotel by Eve. In conclusion, here's my remix of Hotel. (laughs) I once tried to do a remix of Britney's Give Me More with Tori's Give Me More section of Hotel. Tampax. (laughs) Oh, not the... (laughs) Not her toxic. Give me, give me more. (laughs) Give me more. Tampax. (laughs) I did do that, and it was terrible. I did not match. You're listening to the Wild Ritz remix of Hotel. Of course, we'll link to this on our show notes at songsoftoryamus.com. But don't forget, you can also go to songsoftoryamus.com to check out our remix archive. Hundreds of fan remixes.
been delightful to finally talk about hotel. And I was very intimidated to do this. I was thinking that everybody in the entire world was expecting me to have some great insight into the song. And I felt like my response to the song was entirely emotional, but I couldn't, in 22 years, I've not been able to express why I love the song so deeply. No, I know. You hold Hotel in your body. Yeah. And so I was intimidated to get on this episode and try to talk about it because it is my favorite song. And I think I talked about it. I think I learned some things about myself. <laughs> it's your I think favorite I learned... song, Tori Gallon. <laughs> you did Tori's dad a little bit. I think I learned some things about why I liked it and expressed myself in ways that I've never expressed myself in before. I am very, very glad, and I have a new appreciation for the song, and I think the best is yet to come. That's the lesson from this song and the lesson for all mm-hmm. of us. We got to get to the second verse, girl. <laughs> well, I never imagined this podcast would go past Hotel, so yeah. should we come back and do another song? I guess we could do an encore. Yeah, pick a song. Imagine if after Hotel we just went rogue and just did like whatever song came to us. We could. <laughs> for a year, we could act like it's the New Orleans show on Native Invader and just like do whatever the hell we want. Oh, we could. If you like what we do, please visit us online on all our social media at Songs of Toramus on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you don't like what we do, then why don't you just listen to a two-hour-long episode about Hotel? Exactly. If you really like what we do, though, head over to patreon.com slash Songs of Toramus where you can become a Patreon supporter today. There's many different perks at many different levels. All of the rest of the Little Earthquakes episodes are up. The Steve Caton two-parters up. What else do we have up there? Tons of audio commentary on live shows. There's a lot to explore. Stuff from the cutting room floor. We might talk about you, so you should listen to it just in case. That is not my joke on the cutting room floor. Well, this has been fun, David. It sure has. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for sharing this hotel room with me. It's not the first time I've shared a hotel room with a gentleman, and that's where I'm headed now. All right. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. (laughs) Bye. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com. I love that song.